0: you're listening to the airline pilot guy show the view from our side of the cockpit door
1: wapg it's the airline pilot guy
2: airline pilot guy episode 465 you're listening to the airline pilot guy show the view from our side of the cockpit door i'm captain jeff your host broadcasting live from studio 1a at apg headquarters in roswell georgia today's show was recorded on the 25th of march in the second year of covid 2021 In today's episode, a Boeing 717 First Officer sues Qantas for PTSD, a passenger bites off seatmate's ear, more news, your feedback, and this week's plane Tail terminal velocity. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seatbacks in their upright locked positions, electronic devices powered on. Flight 465 is ready for pushback. Thank you. Captain Jeff, not Roger Stern, who is an award-winning TV and radio reporter from New
3: York City. But
2: he's off this week, so I tried to follow in his footsteps, but, you know, didn't even get close. Anyway, welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA, and joining me today... From her lakeside studio in South, lucky, she's a doctor, lucky, skydiver, marathon runner, spring training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper, Dr. Steph.
4: Hey, Captain Jeff. Glad to see you guys this afternoon. It is a lovely day for a podcast, and I'm really looking forward to this episode.
2: And joining us from his mobile studio in Big D, Little A, Double L-A-S. Texas, world traveler, airplane mechanic, Breitling, Cognoscenti, fitness hound, and international air freight captain. It's Miami Rick. Hey,
5: everybody. And ah, my big old jet airliner. do not carry me too far away these days, but I've been bitten that way. I don't like it. Happy to be here. It's going to be another
2: great one. And last but not least, certainly, from his studio in...
6: In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Hurricanes
3: hardly happen...
2: Professional photographer, former RAF RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330 A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airlines. It's Captain Nick.
7: Hi, everybody, and uh, cheers from the United Kingdom. Am I the only one drinking today?
2: I'm drinking. Ah, no. Dr. Jeff Pepper never lets
7: me down. Um,
4: I won't let you <laughs> down, there, Nick. am. Thanks. Thanks. I'm going we'll, have we'll one just one beverage we'll just now. Stay on the
7: bottom level here, as well. well yeah, I'm
4: going to have. One beverage now and then I'll I'll go back to just non alcoholic kombucha for the rest of the
5: show.
2: Oh, yeah. It's early okay. today, Guys so I don't are...
4: want to get myself in too much trouble. Just,
2: what is yet. that uh, chilled vodka there, Rick?
5: Yeah, chilled vodka yeah. in a water bottle. Uh-huh.
2: I'm just trying to you know keep it. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen keep that trick before.
7: <laughs> <laughs> and I will did uh, if... a few
4: college parties back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> like was a...
2: Hey, the show is young, so. I'm sure that I'll crack open a a nice IPA at some point later on. But in the meantime, I think we need to go right to the news.
7: Stand by for news.
2: All right, the first item in the news folder is First Officer sues Qantas for PTSD after 717 engine failure. This is from Australian Aviation, and it was sent in to us from Dispatcher Greg up in uh, Chicago. A former Cobham Aviation First Officer is seeking $780,000 in damages from Qantas after she was operating a Boeing 717 that suffered a mid-air engine failure. Uh, Jacinda Cotti claims she suffered post-traumatic stress over the incident, which she blames on the flag carrier for not maintaining its aircraft properly. Qantas has said in response the situation was caused by a manufacturing fault and insists all pilots are trained to respond to engine failure events. Yeah, like every time we go into the simulator. Uh, Cotty was operating the QantasLink flight 1799 from Alice Springs to Brisbane on the 10th of March 2018, so a little over two years ago, three years ago actually, when the Rolls Royce engine failed about 550 kilometers from its destination. At the time, the Courier Mail reported witnesses heard a loud bang and the plane began to shake. One passenger claimed they were told to brace, and there was send uh, they were sending. Uh, Goodbye messages to loved ones while the crew briefed one man on how to operate the emergency door on the aircraft, read the report. Passengers cheered on the Qantas crew after the landing. The aircraft didn't need to make an emergency landing, but passengers were met by emergency services in Brisbane as a precaution. At the time, Cobham, or National Jet Systems, had operated a fleet of 717s on behalf of QantasLink. The Australian reported a later engineering inspection revealed damage to the compressor blades and the engine was removed. Cotty's, uh the uh, first officer's claim, is based on lost past and future earnings, and court documents lodged in Brisbane District Court says she believes the responsibility for the incident lie entirely with her employer and QantasLink. The claimant says that the maintenance when the accident occurred was largely performed in Canberra, and uh, due to poor maintenance practices with the 717 aircraft, the maintenance was ultimately moved from Canberra to Singapore. Further, the 717 aircraft was removed from service on the Hobart route due to ongoing issues with maintenance. What happened to me highlights the importance of airlines providing care to all crew members following an incident, especially in the mental health space, said Cotty. National Jet Systems did not provide proper crisis care after the event. Slater and Gordon principal lawyer Kavita Maharaj also argued QantasLink breached its quote duty of care and overlooked safety. Qantas said in response that this is the only engine shutdown on Qantas Link's Boeing 717 fleet over a five-year period. And it may well be that no member of the Qantas group is the, is the entity responsible for the maintenance or service of the engine. The cause of the engine issue from the flight in March 8, 2018 was investigated, and Rolls-Royce determined it was manu- a manufacturing fault and not related to maintenance. All Qantas aircraft are maintained to the highest safety standards, and our fleet of Boeing 717 aircraft have... A 99.99% reliability rate. This is the only engine shutdown on QantasLink's Boeing 717 fleet over a five-year period. Like all pilots, the first officer had been trained on how to respond in the event of an engine power failure. Discuss. Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Took the words
4: right out of my mouth there. I I just have no...
7: No idea how to respond to this. <laughs> so
5: does she? Does she sue the training facility every time she has to go back for recurrent? I mean, is that is that uh, you know? There's
4: an idea. Her yes. I'm also too, a little bit wondering <laughs> about that dollar amount that she's seeking damages for past, yeah. future, and current earnings. Seems like a lot. That's, I don't
2: know. Yeah, maybe she's Correct. counting on pay raises in the future. Future contracts. Ah, okay. Gotcha.
7: That <laughs> she's, uh, she's not going to get. They, no. Um I I I don't know. It's so hard in this current uh, climate in any climate um to dismiss someone who is suffering from a mental condition uh cuz we all know that we're all vulnerable to it in one way or another. Uh and I think if you develop PTSD then it needs to be taken seriously and you need to receive treatment for it. Um the the thing I just cannot equate is uh, a trained first officer, first of all, um, being so traumatized by a what should be um, a reasonably standard emergency, uh, because we see it all the time, we practice for it all the time, um, such that she's into that condition. But I'm not an expert, so I can't talk about that. What I can talk about is the fact that she holds the company solely to blame. And I'm going, really? Uh, no, I'm sorry. I, I just, you, If you want to sue someone, you're going to have to find someone else to sue because I think the company have an excellent defense, and I can't see her getting anywhere with this case. It's a frivolous case. Um, I, I do know a lot of companies would rather settle out of court with these things than go through the expense of um, going mm-hmm. to court, but they're certainly not going to settle out of court for that amount. Uh, and a lot of companies do do this they they get uh a claim against them and most people would just slap their foreheads and i'm sure rick's going to in a minute and um just go you you are kidding me uh, but because of the cost of defending yourself against them you'd rather just settle because it's cheap well
4: and then when you do that too you don't have to take risks with what the you know what the outcomes might be you think it's a cut and dry case in your favor or in the company's favor in this case um but if you can have a settlement for it then you can say okay here's the dollar amount that we're giving you or whatever monetary amount that we're giving you and it's done like you can't come back to us about this again in the future so it's a much easier way to kind of get it to um not play out over the long term or not rear its head in the future again
5: Another thing, I mean, the fact that she came—that uh, you know, she 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 went through this whole thing, um, uh, whatever motivations were—from um, from the pilot point of view, um, there is no such thing as a career first officer. Every first officer is on track to command, and uh, to me, the fact that she would react to that, uh, react that way to to an issue for which she has uh, clearly been trained for, repeatedly tells me that she's just in the wrong line of work. I mean, she shouldn't have been sitting in that seat. And uh, right. I mean, there are as, certain as, jobs as, that require harsh. Certain- yeah. As harsh as that might sound, uh, she's just not cut out for it. I'm sorry. And well, uh, there's
4: a lot of jobs in the world that require a certain amount of mental fortitude or ability to deal with stressful events. And if, um, If that's not you, then like Rick said, it's probably best to just look for a career that you're not going to subject yourself to those kind of stressful situations. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, everyone's cut out to do every job out there. I mean, he could even be a
2: doctor, you know. Pretty much anything.
4: We never have stressful situations. <laughs> I promise. <Yeah>.
7: No, no. <laughs> you never see people dying around here. You, you never stamp the wrong final here. Sure, we're not supposed to talk <laughs> about that. But but, oh, but as Steph, Steph not was about that. That. sorry,
3: <laughs> sorry, Steph. About
5: sorry. About <laughs> no, I was saying that. Steph was saying this this uh, you know be, being a, being a an airline pilot uh, and uh, and having you know being responsible not only for the Safety and well-being of your passengers, but also for the you know the the, the integrity of the of, of the aircraft, uh, the the operation, uh, the 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 brand, and all these things. And in a constantly you know ever-changing, high-stress environment, does take you know the right mindset. And, and as as, as Stephie said, you know some people just just don't have it. and That's not, not wrong with that, but you know let someone else that has the uh i guess qualities required for this type of job you know take that place um so i mean that's that's all i have to say about that
2: i worry about
4: and i think we we all agree with nick that you know we want her to be well in the future going forward and get the help that she needs to get past whatever you know trauma is there for her individually that's still important
7: Yeah. yeah and also um i i have to commend qantas here because they are not They're taking the high ground here, the high moral ground. They're not um, saying a word about any other um, ulterior motives that she might have had for leaving the company and raising this lawsuit. So uh, they're not saying she was bad at her job. They're not saying that she failed training. They're not saying any of the any of that. And. that may be because it's, there's nothing there, but usually you can dig up something on a pilot uh, because we are so continually under the microscope. We're always being examined. There are always something that we can do to improve. And they're, they're, all they're doing is responding, saying, no, you're, this has nothing to do with us. It was a manufacturer's fault in the engine that was apparent um, from the point the... Uh, um, the blades or whatever the fault was, were, were constructed. That nothing to do with the company or maintenance. So. I wonder
2: about the timing of this, mm-hmm. you know, the um, very um, much in the news, uh, United 777 that had the big engine failure and the whole bit, and all of a sudden this is a lawsuit that's filed because it kind of reminds me of that time I was first officer on the airplane and the engine blew up, and hmm, I'm wondering if I should talk to... Um, a lawyer or two and see if there is a case here for me to get some money. I don't know.
4: Hmm. Interesting. I don't know if it would ever, if it would happen that quickly that it would come out in the news. I mean, that's a pretty quick mm-hmm. turnaround, but
2: I do think, and possibly. I did alter the, uh, or took out some of the narrative of this uh, news article and what you're, got, what you're seeing in Evernote. I do think that at some point in the, um, in the uh, article, they did mention the United flight and the engine exploding. So I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it's just coincidental. Anyway. Yeah.
7: I mean, as a passenger, I, I would be actually quite concerned to hear of a pilot that could be flying me around um, finding the drama of an engine failure um, sufficient to cause them PTSD. And I would be saying, well, uh, aren't our pilots supposed to be uh, made of more, um, you know, sturdier material than that? Mm-hmm. Uh, So I don't think it's, it's, you know, a good reflection on us as an industry, as professional pilots, um, that this sort of thing happens. Yeah.
2: Neither do
7: I. All right.
2: Well, thanks for uh, a great discussion regarding that. And uh, I hope that this uh, first officer gets some help uh, for the the mental issues and such. And uh, we'll hopefully hear something about how the lawsuit is um, finalized as time goes on here. Laser attack forces Virgin Atlantic Boeing 787 Dreamliner diversion. This is from Simple Flying. A Virgin flight had to turn back last night after an incident with a laser beam. The aircraft was operating flight 453 from London to Heathrow to Tel Aviv, Israel. Excuse me, London, Heathrow. (laughs) Not London to Heathrow, that would be a very short flight, Uh, to Tel Aviv, Israel, when a laser struck the cockpit. Out of an abundance of caution, the crew turned back to Heathrow, landing safely at the airport an hour and a half later. Uh, Virgin Flight 453 is the regular four times a week evening departure from London Heathrow to Tel Aviv. It is operated by the airline 787-9 Dreamliners and on this occasion was being flown by Gulf Victor Delta India Alpha, also known as Lucy in the Sky. Oh, I get it because V-D-I-A for diamond, I guess. Um, the flight, which usually takes around four hours to complete, had departed Heathrow as planned at 2130 uh, Greenwich Mean Time. However, the aircraft's cockpit was hit by a laser beam on departure, causing a, a distraction to the pilots and a danger to the flight. The Aviation Herald reports that the captain was becoming increasingly challenged following the attack. Out of caution, the pilots decided to head back to London. The flight declared a pan-pan to ATC and turned uh, about over Paris to return to its origin. Virgin Atlantic told Simple Flying, On 15 March 2021, flight 453 operating from London Heathrow to Tel Aviv, Uh, Return to Heathrow after takeoff due to a laser beam incident incident upon departure. The safety and security of our people and our customers is paramount, and this was a precautionary step taken by the operating crew. We'd like to thank our customers for their patience and apologize for any inconvenience caused. All customers were offered overnight accommodation, and we are working hard to ensure they are able to continue their journey as soon as possible. As is standard procedure for a laser incident, we swiftly notified the police and remain in close contact with them and the Civil Aviation Authority. The aircraft landed safely back in London, Heathrow, at 22.45.
7: Sounds very similar to the previous occurrence that we had a year or two ago. Uh, Same company, uh, an Airbus this time. Uh, The guys were hit in the face uh, with a laser during departure. And uh, they made it all the way to the uh, entry point of the Atlantic um, route system before they decided that um, one of them wasn't feeling well. It was getting blurry eye vision and uh, headaches. And so they turned around and came back again. And this is a similar sort of incidents. And, uh, you know, we, we said it then. Uh, these pa- lasers can be incredibly powerful. Uh, and on a clear night, With a high-powered laser, um, the power will hardly have diminished in the uh, over several miles that it would probably have been uh, fired at the cockpit. And uh, some of them, some of these lasers are so powerful that they will set light to stuff. And uh, uh, you know, even if um, you're a distance away, they could still give you a, a, a considerable amount of damage. So don't blame the crew for being cautious, don't like the term an abundance of caution because that's out of an abundance of caution that seems to indicate they were being overly cautious to me i just think they they decided that no uh don't feel completely comfortable don't feel happy about this don't want to go uh and and this particular route i i don't know exactly how virgin run it but they don't overnight in uh, israel they uh, i think they have another crew on board and they uh, come home, it might have been several hours before they were back in the UK. And mm. by that time, of course, any damage uh, that might have occurred uh, would have sat there and and you know and been untreated. So uh, I, I don't blame you for doing couple that. A couple of questions
2: for you, uh, Nick. Um, doesn't this flight path go kind of close to uh, your house there in uh, Hampshire? Um, that's one question. The second one, um, are you still feeling quite <laughs> disgruntled for having to uh, – retire, uh, from the airline and, and, um, you're just kind of possibly taking it out on, on the, so the fact
7: that this was a Boeing doesn't, uh, (laughs) oh yeah, it's a Boeing justify (laughs) that that question. That that was going to be my question. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, yeah, but it was, there was a bit of cloud over my house that night. So, uh, uh, but (laughs) having said that, there've been some very clear nights lately, uh, beautiful moons, easy to get a really nice shot on those. Don't yeah, answer. I know. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but I like to use my sniper rifle. personally. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh-oh. Stand by for next week's news. Uh,
4: <laughs> hey, I got an email from the FBI. FBI. Someone <laughs> knocking at the door. <laughs> what's, uh, <laughs> what's
5: with uh, Nick's striped pajamas? <laughs> right. um, I have to change no, but, intro, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been, I've been hit with that, with lasers a couple of times, um, and, uh, going into, um, it used to happen a lot going into, uh, Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo and Campinas mm. and in Brazil, uh, and so much so that, um, it was actually part of the briefing to, uh, keep your eyes inside, um, once you got down, you know, below a certain altitude and it would, it would, it would show up on the notums as well. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I imagine the lasers could have been a little powerful because you know in one instance we were um uh, just just under ten thousand feet, and the entire cockpit um uh, lit up uh bright green and so um i mean yeah uh i none of us felt anything you know obviously you want to protect your vision, so you just you just you just look down and you just you know protect your eyes uh other than that i i know of 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 instances of of no uh, not 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 colleagues of mine but pilots that have been uh hit with lasers in the eyes and then that can have a very very you know damaging effect of vision and and as pilots that we rely on our eyes 100% uh for our jobs um so i can see how you know you know that would i guess warrant a return it's especially i mean i didn't know what what nick just mentioned here the fact that uh the flight over to uh, Ben Gurion is a uh, is an out and back, so that makes a lot of sense that uh, they'd want to come back and make sure that uh, the crew is fine. But uh, from experience, uh, as long as you're prepared for it, you know, you know, just just don't look out. But then then, then there's a whole startle effect and the fact mm-hmm. that you're not expecting it and you might be looking out and then so it's just uh, you just never know. So I've never had it's an just, incident I mean, like that, but I'm
2: wondering if it's like um, tempting to. Want to look out the window and see if you can find oh, on the ground the where the source of the that's thing is, the thing. and that's, that's what it really mm-hmm. gets you. Yeah, gets yeah you right
5: exactly. In. That's why. If, I mean, you, you you see that 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 bright green or red light in the cockpit, you just bury your head down the panel to you know just to to stay away from that because that is that's the first um, I guess reaction to try to find out where the hell this thing's coming from. Mm-hmm. So,
2: yeah. Ever ever been hit by a laser, uh, Steph?
4: Nope.
7: Yeah, I haven't either. Thankfully.
4: Mm-mm. Yeah.
7: No, I happened to be on approach to Heathrow, but, uh, you know, I, I just closed that eye and kept the other one out. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> J- joking. Just like a pirate. You you know, our were our, uh, <laughs> like a pirate. our uh, nuclear <laughs> attack pilots uh, used you to be a given a, uh, a black eye patch. Arr. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so paradise. that um, if they went through their journey and a nuclear bomb went off and burned their eye and they couldn't see anymore, they'd switch the patch over so mm. they could use the good one. Did they? <laughs> really I don't know. If you that's parrots true, as well. <laughs> well, they all have wooden legs, lakes, so they played with his there. bird. <laughs> oh, God.
2: Oh, I'm glad we're so serious Love it. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, Robert from uh, Marietta, south of the Big Chicken, uh, sent us a link to an article. Uh, he said this was news to me about FedEx basing pilots in Hong Kong, but having to move them to San Francisco due to the pandemic. I thought this was an interesting read, so I thought I would pass it along. And this is from the One time.com uh, One Mile at a Time blog. The United States threatens to ban Cathay Pacific flights. Could Hong Kong's strict and arguably unfair quarantine requirement lead to Cathay Pacific being banned from flying to the U.S.? A new U.S. Department of Transportation DOT filing suggests that this could be the case. Uh, In February, Hong Kong introduced a strict new quarantine requirement for airline crews. With this, pilots and flight attendants returning to Hong Kong are subjected to a 14-day quarantine in a hotel, plus seven days of medical surveillance thereafter. Hong Kong has had a strict quarantine requirement for around a year now, but historically, airline crews have been excluded from this. However, with some coronavirus cases being linked to the airline crews, Hong Kong has added these new requirements, which have caused airlines to totally rework how they crew flights. There are a few interesting exceptions, though. This quarantine requirement doesn't apply to crews that just work direct turnarounds, as well as crews operating flights to mainland China, Taiwan, or Anchorage. The Anchorage exception may seem random, but conveniently, Cathay Pacific has a major cargo hub there. FedEx isn't happy. Uh, they got the U.S. DOT involved in the situation. The cargo airline has historically had 180 pilots based in Hong Kong who were essential to maintaining the carrier's intra-Asian network. However, the quarantine requirement has made it impossible for the airline to maintain its Hong Kong crew base. FedEx moved its Hong Kong-based crews to San Francisco in order to maintain the viability of critical operations in its intra-Asia network. But it's noted that this Arrangement is causing the airline to incur significant operational costs and personal burden on pilots. FedEx is unhappy because Hong Kong unilaterally made an exception for Anchorage, which benefits Cathay Pacific. FedEx has sought to work with Hong Kong to establish an exception for intra Asia service points, as it's argued that, quote, FedEx applies health and safety controls for its intra Asia operations commensurate to those required for Anchorage. Uh, This is where the situation gets fun. (laughs) <laughs> the U.S. DOT, DOT has indirectly threatened to ban Cathay Pacific. Here's what it boils down to. The bilateral agreement between the U.S. and Hong Kong calls for fair and equal opportunity for the designated airlines of each contracting party to compete with the designated airlines of the other contracting party. It's argued that Hong Kong is providing preferential treatment to Cathay Pacific, giving the unilateral and arbitrary decision to make an exception for Anchorage. The DOT has tried contacting Hong Kong authorities to address this, but a January 28 letter went unanswered until March 1st. Even then, the authorities in Hong Kong only promised to consider other exceptions, with no timeline provided. The DOT has decided that this imbalance denies U.S. carriers their bilateral right to a fair and equal opportunity to compete, and the DOT is now requesting that all Hong Kong airlines, primarily Cathay Pacific, file their schedules for U.S. service within seven days, And then the U.S. will decide if these schedules may be contrary to applicable law or adversely affect the public interest. Put more plainly, if Hong Kong doesn't carve out exceptions for FedEx pilots, then you can expect that the U.S. will stop Cathay Pacific from operating its schedule to the U.S. So, what do you think about this little spat going on?
5: Well, I tell you, two can play that game, and that's exactly why I'm bidding domestic flying lately. Because man, oh man, I just it's been been a little while since I've been to Hong Kong and when i was there it was starting to get a little crazy um i mean it's just not it's not worth it just going over there and just sitting in your hotel for you know sometimes four or five day layover oh it's like you're in jail mm. now i understand the whole pandemic and you know i've got my own views about that i'm not gonna share here but um it's it's just not fair why why you know give Anchorage, a, uh, make Anchorage an exception. And and, and this is just not, it's just not a level field. It's just not the way things work. So, yeah, no, not cool.
7: Not cool. Yeah, I, I quite agree, Rick. And um, the fact that, of course, Cathay seem to be uh, being given benefit um, beneficial treatment. Uh, that's, you know, it's often been the way uh, in Hong Kong. They're all, like considered Hong Kong's airline. Um, But, uh, uh, yeah, Uh, even Cathay, of course, uh, are finding this uh, restriction on their own pilots in Hong Kong, the amount of time they have to isolate after a flight, Um, impossible or nearly impossible to run. It looks like the restrictions Mm -hmm. were put in place without real consultation with the airline because if Cathay had turned around and said, well, that means in like two months we're going to run out of Air crew, but to operate at all, uh, they might have rethought it. But
4: uh, I really don't um, know how, you know, with a, uh, just what you would normally expect to do in terms of scheduling, you could have a 14 day quarantine and then an additional seven days of medical surveillance. No one would ever be able to fly. That's 21 days of
2: not enough days yeah, in the year to do some sort of scrutiny. <laughs> yeah. The nightmare.
7: So you could fly for a, a week that,
4: and then yeah. spend the next three weeks quarantining and being under medical surveillance. There's not enough
7: pilots to go around for that. I remember watching Cool Hand Luke, and I don't think even he spent that much of time in uh, quarantine. (laughs) Good point.
5: (laughs) Oh, man, I tell you, that's just ridiculous.
2: Okay. Thank you, Robert, for sending that in, and I had no idea that that was going on. It'll be interesting to see how this is resolved. Um, Next item, um, FAA proposes civil penalties against two passengers for allegedly interfering with flight attendants. So just imagine you're hearing down, 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 down. You know, the the cops, bad boys, bad boys, boys, boys theme.
4: I was actually uh. going to ask you if you were going to play that a bunch during uh, this today's news section. I would there's have a couple in a row here. That
2: except <laughs> lately. Just about every darn thing I play, uh, YouTube objects to. So I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'll just let Jeff sing his own version then. <laughs> yeah, you just, have to, you just have to pretend like... Maybe just if you listen you to the audio... Much like,
5: like it, they'll take that off too. So. Yeah. That's true.
2: <laughs> anyway. Uh, the U.S. Department of Transportation's Federal, Federal Aviation Administration proposes civil penalties of $20,000 and 12250 against two passengers for allegedly interfering with and, in one case, assaulting flight attendants who instructed them to wear face masks and obey various federal regulations. The cases are as follows. Again, this is from the FAA.gov, their news release. Um, $20,000 against a passenger on December twenty seventh, 2020. JetBlue Airlines flight from Boston to Puerto Rico. The FAA alleges the passenger failed to comply with flight attendant's instructions to wear her face mask and remain seated with her seatbelt fastened. The passenger shoved a flight attendant multiple times in her chest and shoulder area, shouted obscenities at the flight attendant, and threatened to have her fired. As a result of the passenger's behavior, the captain diverted the flight back to Boston. So that
4: worked out really well for the the passenger.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm sure it did.
4: I'll get you fired. And now we're going to take you back to Boston.
2: Yeah. Have a nice time. And you're screwing everybody else on this flight at the same time. A $12,250 fine against a passenger on also in December of 2020. JetBlue Airlines flight from New York. Another JetBlue flight from New York to the Dominican Republic. The FAA alleges the passenger failed to comply with flight attendant's instructions to wear his face mask, stop drinking from his personal bottle of alcohol, which is prohibited by FAA regulations, and hand over the bottle. After flight attendants issued the passenger a, quote, notice to cease objectionable behavior card. I mean, we all get that, right?
4: Is that like a, like a red card in soccer or yeah, something? It like, like a l- yellow card. Like, stop. <laughs>
2: and I think they get a yellow one first and then the red.
4: Yellow first. I know. <laughs> I, I, messed it. I, yeah, I messed
2: it up. I, I was trying to make no, a joke no, out of much your jokes. No, um sorry. <laughs> he shouted profanities at them, slammed overhead bins, got down on the floor, and then they brought a stretcher and he pretended that his leg was hurt. And then he no, wait a minute. That actually is, um. Football. That I'm yeah,
7: that's about. on the soccer field. In yeah. <laughs> the soccer field, <laughs>
2: um, he shouted profanities at them, slammed overhead bins, and became more and more uncooperative and agitated during the landing. That's also phase of-
7: on the soccer field.
2: <laughs> that's true. <laughs> a lot of this kind of trans transfers yeah. uh, during the landing phase of flight, including when the plane was taxiing to the gate. The passenger stood up while the fasten seatbelt sign was illuminated, threw his bottle of alcohol behind a seat, and what a um, waste. And went, oh, no. it was empty I think it must have been empty <laughs> and then went to the lavatory. As a result of the passenger's behavior, the flight crew requested that law enforcement meet the aircraft at the gate. Uh, so, yeah. they. Uh,
6: how is he supposed to drink his
2: alcohol with his mask on? Come I don't, on. Oh, you know, Liz is making a very good point. She says, how is he supposed to drink his alcohol with his mask on?
7: Exactly. <laughs> right? Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Very.
4: Yeah. I'm going to put it back on as soon as I finish my personal <laughs>
7: bottle of alcohol.
2: Well, you know, yeah, it might be right. the reason his fine was not quite as much as the female passenger's fine because of that. Good. Restriction
7: could be, and Lane in the chat room says that red card comes with a parachute. That's wrong. Yellow card comes with a parachute. Red yard card comes without a parachute. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Yikes! Uh-huh.
2: Stay tuned for plain tales. Yes. <laughs> yes. it all ties <laughs> in somehow. Little, little, little dispatcher, in LA. <laughs>
6: dispatcher Tom,
2: I think, in the, making a comment. Dispatcher um, Tom Dugan. Oh yeah, dispatcher Tom. Yeah, Tom Dugan. Um, he's uh, an Acme dispatcher. My regional actually had yellow and red cards for passenger behavior. Huh. That's funny. When he, uh, oh. What about color of
7: colorblind passengers? Did anyone think of that?
2: No, it's probably spelled so, um, out. This is
7: a yellow card <laughs> Uh, from another country.
6: There's a lawsuit <laughs> waiting there.
4: Probably <laughs> just like offensive smelling or pointy things on it, something tactical <laughs> <Yeah>, or <laughs> sure. it was.
7: Picture of yeah. someone going back. Yeah, exactly. Well,
2: staying along like with the. Dunk. Um, bad passenger behavior yeah, theme
7: um, uh, another one
2: yeah oh yeah uh, this is a good one <laughs> well or actually a bad one uh, Wednesday mornings United Airlines flight from New Newark to Miami uh, flight 728 diverted to Charleston due to one passenger's awful behavior uh, this is from again one mile at a time blog 45 uh, year old John Yurkovich is the man behind the attack on several other passengers W.C.S.C. reports on the content of the police reports about the incident. Yurkovich got up to use the bathroom and returned returned a short while later, but appeared to be agitated. At that point, he became restless and bounced around his seat. Yurkovich then asked for some water from a flight attendant and then retrieved pills from the overhead bin. Yurkovich then sat down and began to scream and thrash around yurkovich's seatmate held his arm up to protect himself but ended up being struck with a closed fist on the side of his face causing his glasses to break and he also suffered a laceration to his ear
7: as the man tried to bite it off this reminds me of one of our Czech captains you, what, what? <laughs> one of your <laughs> Czech captains it's yeah, gonna, one of our one of our training captains. Yeah, yeah. continue with the story. Scream and there. thrash around. Oh, no, no, <laughs> oh, I could try to couldn't bite possibly
4: someone's ear off. Yeah,
7: yeah, he hits people and screams at them and what uh, hmm. thrashes around you're in the jump cer- seat. Certainly, you're you're joking. I hope not entirely, <laughs> <laughs> not entirely. <laughs> okay,
2: okay, metaphorically, he does that. Okay, um, other passengers intervened to, to try to restrain the man. A second victim was struck by Yurkovich, and that may have caused a broken nose. A third victim was punched in the head as well. At this point, other passengers helped to restrain Yurkovich, and a physician even administered a shot of Benadryl in the man's bottom to help sedate him. When police officers, I I
7: misread that. I thought he administered a shot of brandy in the man's butt. (laughs) So. Yeah, I'm okay. not sure. I'm really? not sure what
4: effect that would have. Probably take some exactly time. I
7: was thinking I was going to ask you what that <laughs> would do a, to It's someone. a
4: lesser known treatment for <laughs> agitation. Um, but dirt. if you dig deep into the the medical manuals, you'll find it in there.
7: Huh. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Benadryl. <laughs> drill. Uh, what does that do for you? It's an hydrogen. antihistamine, isn't it?
4: Mm-hmm. But it also uh, has a side effect of causing you to be a little bit on the sleepy side,
7: ah. potentially. Mm. It must have been a very large shoulder. Yeah,
2: I I wouldn't think that Vendril would have that kind of effect, but I guess it must. I don't know. When police officers. That's all
4: you got to try. I don't know. Yeah. Sure.
2: When police officers boarded the plane in Charleston, they found Yurkovich face down on the floor of the aircraft, being restrained with zip ties and belts, had his hands uh, tied behind his back, and his face was covered by a shirt. Uh, He was arrested and has been arrested and charged, but not for his assault on other passengers. Rather, he was charged with possession with intent to distribute methamphetamine. Methamphetamine. I'm sorry, methamphetamine. I Looks like I wrong.
4: picked the meth- wrong week
2: to quit methamphetamine. <laughs> methamphetamine. <laughs> Police found one and a half grams of white crystal substance in his pocket, which tested positive for methamphetamine. Yurkovich disputed the meth charge. This is his quote. It's not what they say it is. It's a cat tranquilizer, actually. It's not what they're saying it is. Okay. Mm. Uh-huh. His bond was set at I 50, mean, I
4: bet 000. it works as a, I don't know,
7: that meth is a cat drink.
5: I would have gone with, it's not mine, like Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>.
7: <laughs> it's not mine. Uh, so the guy who had his ear Honestly. bitten, he's not pressing charges? I can't believe that. I don't know. Yeah.
6: Hopefully Amazing. he's consulting with a lawyer.
7: Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe he's <laughs>
2: consulting with a lawyer as we speak. Mm. Uh, okay. Well, there you go. Bad passenger behavior all around for everyone. Um, and doing so a Mike Tyson. I, I, I'm uh, just
7: attempt. interested. Any of you have cats, and are you giving them meth? And, and how do you pronounce that? Meth and <laughs> what means um, I Are you giving them? That? I don't give
6: them meth.
4: Do, no. Do, do, do. Cat, it works fine to get them a little can, riled up. Can you but,
7: imagine? Can you
3: imagine
5: a cat on meth? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, that comment. would
4: have the opposite effect. Here's opposite comment, <laughs> yeah. actually. Rob. I don't know. I don't know. If, I'm not a veterinarian. I'm going to preface this, but you can <laughs> give dogs benadryl to help them calm down. Hmm. Wonder if you could do the same for cats, as they did with right. this
2: gentleman. Maybe. Oh, okay. Rob okay.
6: Saying it may be ketamine.
2: I'm I'm sorry. What did you say, Liz?
6: Rob Rob is making a comment there in the
2: chat room. Oh, Rob um, Hamish T Haggis, a cat tranquilizer, maybe like ketamine. Another widely abused drug? Well,
7: doesn't seem oh, no. catam- with
2: <laughs> You mean catamine? Uh, okay.
7: You know, if only we could go back to the days oh, when funny. everyone traveled uh, in jet aircraft wearing their suit and tie. I think all these problems might go away.
5: Oh, yeah. Hmm. I, I'm, I'm with you there, Nick, 100%. I was, I was watching, I was watching uh, uh, old-timey videos yep. of uh, just, you know, American Airlines Astrojet and uh, when Braniff was still around, I'm talking, you know, the early 60s and the first, uh, the advent of the 707 and the first flight across the Atlantic on Pan Am and all that. And it just people were so well behaved and so well dressed. Oh, it was an absolutely. event, you know, it was yeah. just so. fun it so also
4: nice. probably cost a whole lot more for those yeah. tickets. So yeah. if you're going to yeah, spend yeah, yeah, that yeah. kind of money, you're going to enjoy the, um,
3: mm-hmm.
4: you know, the process, not just like glorified bus ride from point A to point B. while you're in your pajamas and you
2: know with your own
0: pillow Mm -hmm.
2: sadly i don't think we're ever going to go back to those days and you know oh well all right finally last item in our news notebook here um a trigana boeing 737-400 freighter registration papa kilo yankee sierra foxtrot performing a freight flight from jakarta halim to Makassar. Indonesia with four crew was climbing out of Halim's runway two four at 10:53 local time when the crew stopped the climb at about 3000 feet due to problems with the right hand main gear. The crew entered a hold while attempting to correct the problem and subsequently returned to Halim airport for a landing on runway two four at about 11:28, about 35 minutes past departure. Um, so I got a little bit of, um, video to share with you. You can see what happened after they went up and held and worked the landing gear issue. Now we're watching the uh, airplane coming in for landing. And then, uh uh-oh, looks like it's listing a bit on the right side and skidding on its uh, right engine pod. And uh, yeah, just scraping the runway with the right engine nacelle and continuing down past the person that has the camera, and then it kind of slides a little bit um, to the right of runway heading at the end, oh, kind of slides right off.
7: The, Nearly yeah. made the turn off. Almost. Just. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Almost got it.
2: And a little bit of smoke, but I think that's not fire at this point. I think it's just from all the friction of the airplane on the mm-hmm. uh, runway. Here's a picture of the aftermath of the freight 737 uh, skidding off the runway, and uh, they finally got some firefighting equipment out there and started spraying some water on it. But uh, anyway.
6: I I think there'll be a first officer lawsuit here.
2: Uh, Oh, yeah, Liz is making the point there's probably going to be a first officer lawsuit um, in this.
6: Pardon the interruption. When we're recording the show live, the only person who can hear me is Captain Jeff. Now he's decided to include my audio here in the post-show edit.
5: Lucky you. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
6: standard. Standard.
5: <laughs> the standard first officer lawsuit after a uh, procedure Traumatic incident. Been, uh,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody told me something like this could happen.
7: Yep. No, no, no. I'm going to start getting those uh, anonymous phone calls saying, "Have you had an accident on your aircraft <laughs> <laughs> in the last 24 hours?" Call 1-800-DIDRI. Injury. Injury. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. BDSD lawyers for you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. So, uh, let's see. Following touchdown, the aircraft skidded on the run- runway and rolled out. Aircraft veered off right. Missed the, the the turnoff, as Nick said. No injuries. The aircraft sustained substantial damage. Weather looked like it was pretty decent. And, uh, anyway, I think the crew did a good job based on their scenario of, uh, Keeping the airplane the mostly aircraft on the runway.
7: Sue.
2: The aircraft is yeah, going absolutely. to sue. Absolutely. Because,
7: yeah. you know, you, you never know quite how this is going to work out. Generally speaking, these are usually well managed. But of course, if you do leave the runway without a, even with a wheel, you know, you could inflict a lot of inju- of uh, damage in the aircraft. You can bust fuel tanks and there's always a risk of fire. Um, so, you know, I always breathe a sigh of relief when I see one of these. And the result has been uh, no, no significant injuries. So mm-hmm. well done, guys. Absolutely. All right. That's
2: it for the news in this episode. And it's time to get to know us. And I'm not going to sing and screw up any lyrics this
7: week. Ah, oh, no. Because...
2: You guys are just so mean to me when I try to sing. It's just
7: <laughs> constructive criticism. Yeah, that's. Steph's the
2: one that's the mean one. I it was me. I'd have to point that out.
4: Oh. <laughs> yeah. Because I never make any mistakes ever.
2: <laughs> no. Ever. Ever. Right. <laughs> All right. So that's the uh, time of the show where we kind of talk about what has been happening with each of us and what, let's see, was it Thursday of it us? Been about a almost exactly a week, I think, or was it? Yep. 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 Uh, yep. Liz, exactly. our producer director is saying, yes, it was a week ago that we, that we uh, had our last show. So, um, who would like to go first with telling us about what's been happening with them? Nick does. Nick does, um, according to Stan. Oh, well, it'll be
7: short and sweet. (laughs) Okay.
6: Any electrical
2: work done? What
7: can a man in lockdown say other than uh, I drove my little sports car to the local town for an essential journey, and it was like uh, being released from jail. It was- A sentimental
1: journey? No,
7: essential. It was sentimental, yes. uh, Essential. But um, uh, as I had my wife on board, hence the reason for the uh, journey, hmm. um, she wasn't feeling up to driving. So uh, we set up down the road. And you know I'm kind of a bit deaf, or you may not know. I'm kind of a bit deaf. Um,
6: yeah, we know. It's
7: 45 years of listening to whining cabin – no, I mean jet engines. Um <laughs> <laughs> You know what the they, difference um, is between a flight attendant crew and a jet engine? <laughs> <laughs>
2: that, you, you didn't want to finish the nice the there. The ice. <laughs> I'm just wondering if you knew. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, yeah, <laughs> no, 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 no. we don't as know. It actually, turns out,
5: I, I know, do. I yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I fly cargo. I have
7: no idea. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's very true. Um, and as we're going down the road, uh, she said, "What's that awful noise?" And she wound a window and I'm going, what noise. And and as I slowed up a bit, uh, I could hear this quick, 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 from one side of the car. So I went, Oh my God. So I pulled over and had a good look around. It sounded like we were trailing a lump of metal in one of the wheels. And uh had a good look around, couldn't see anything, so we carried on. And uh, the noise carried on. It, 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 when you're going fast, it was dreadful. Anyway, um, got to the car park, uh, dropped her off and uh I had a good look, and I thought, I think I know what this is, so I took the car up the uh the what go the freeway, the uh motorway that's near me um and in a clear stretch, i uh, was hammering the brakes and then accelerating and hammering the brakes, and I managed to polish all the rust off the brake discs, <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> oh,
3: yeah, my absolutely, my
7: car absolutely. Wow. My car's been sitting there for I uh, know, three, four months hardly moving. And uh, those big steel discs, of course, uh, they just sit and rust because uh, they're not rust-proof. So, wow. yeah, uh, a few uh, firm applications of, uh, of the pads and uh, polish them clean again so the noise went away. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, at least the tires weren't flat on one side, you know, so... Well, that's parts. true, yeah. yes, absolutely. The battery wasn't flat, so that was good. So yeah, mm-hmm. so that was my uh, one moment of uh, relief. Other than taking the dogs for a walk, the local army ground is shut because they're doing driver training on it, uh, which means I uh, get in my Volvo and take the dogs out down there. And uh, we took a few pictures in this pretty uh, area, one of which is behind me. Uh, it's absolutely gorgeous, the little spot I go to, very quiet, and it's so deep. We would call it a dell. It's just a uh, a natural indentation, natural dish in the ground, big, uh, full of old trees and uh, lots of um, lakes, little lakes there, and uh, very green, overgrown, not often visited. So, as uh, you know, if you stray off the main paths, then you're in, uh, you know, very um, natural countryside and uh, great for photography absolutely gorgeous so enjoying that getting the grips with the new camera and uh then of course um you know trying to find someone with a new jersey accent that was the, my other main job this week and uh i have to thank um hillel uh to for getting out of the shower and uh bringing his friend ivan to the microphone so was ivan in the shower um, too I don't know where <laughs> Ivan was. Okay. He might have been in the shower, but okay. I don't know. Perhaps we can ask him when he well, comes on later. Well, and, was it uh, a TMI, a too much information? <laughs> could yeah, be. could too be. Much. But uh, Ivan, despite his name, has a wonderful New Jersey accent. Okay. So when you hear the plane tell later, you'll know. Oh, good. Thanks to me. Well, we need guys. to know.
2: Another T. Last week you were um, having some electrical issues mm-hmm. going on. How, how, did you get that resolved?
7: Ah uh, yes, my spacecraft engineer uh, came around. He's highly overqualified for a job like this. <laughs> Thank you, and uh, and we uh, switched the correct wire. Where well, that was part of the problem, I was switching the wrong wire. But when all the wires are black, it's a bit hard to tell. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, we got that fixed. Uh, the only problem was, um, lovely uh, Matt is uh, not a small man, and we had a, a wooden. Uh, um, Stool for him to stand on, so he'd get in the larder up to the ceiling, and the whole thing just shattered underneath him, <laughs> uh, which it really wasn't supposed to do. But it is it's a bit elderly, and I glued it together a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! So this this fine gentleman who's got about ten years on me, uh, you know, ended up collapsing inside. <laughs> I should laugh. I feel so sorry for him. Do me a favour. Anyway, uh oh, no damage watch the done. Show. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, it's true. And, and I apologize profusely. Um and you would you believe this just says what a lovely guy he is. Two days later he came round with a replacement stool for me.
3: Oh <laughs> a nice guy. He yeah, ordered
7: nice. one better than the one we had before and hmm. came came around on his motorbike. He still rides a motorbike at his age. And uh Gave me this and said, "Oh, this is I'm. Um, I'm so sorry for breaking your. <laughs> oh, he just felt bad. Oh, really?
5: He apologized to you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> going, you
2: should apolog- apologize and say would you please not?' I sue try me and do, to, <laughs> but- <laughs> the to say sorry,
7: <laughs> <how's it laughs> you know, he's, the PTSD he's one of, of really nature's gentlemen. So <laughs> he's a fine chap. So thanks. He's going to be suing
6: Nick for PTSD.
7: Oh man, oh, man. Good
2: story. Okay, well, good. Good had, had a happy ending. Um, it did
7: like most massages. <laughs> okay, yes, you. sir. Uh, so
2: obviously you're in your mobile studio in uh, double D no D a double L a S or whatever that song said at the beginning. D-l-l-l-A-D
7: double a, D sounds better.
2: Yeah. That's something entirely different. That's a different show. So after show, yeah. So what you doing in Dallas, Texas, sir?
5: Well, just, uh, you know, bringing people their Amazon stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, got in uh, yesterday uh, night after, uh, you know, dealing with a little bit of weather, a little line of weather. But apparently, uh, the temperature starts uh, warming up a little bit, and uh, all of a sudden, convective activity yep. uh, comes right back. And so, uh, made for an interesting uh, descent approach and landing. Well, the landing wasn't that bad, but uh, uh, it was just, just, just getting down from the... From the high 30s down to uh, about, you know, 10,000 feet. It was a little tricky because it was this big line of thunderstorms from the northwest to the southeast. Um, trying to navigate through that was was, was uh, interesting. But we, we made it, no problem. And uh, since, uh, what, since today, the last week, uh, so I recorded the morning I Came in from Kona, I believe, and then uh, I went home. I spent a couple of days at home and then right back out on the road to uh, Rockford up in uh, Illinois, um, which was interesting because um, usually we, we land to the east in a Rockford. It's, it's an ILS to Runway 7 there. And the uh, prevailing winds were for uh, two five, which uh, has an RNAV approach, which is always nice to practice because it's not it's not something that we that we do all the time unless you are in, in the simulator. So uh, specific procedure to you know um, you know. Uh, key the approach in and make sure that you have the correct uh, autopilot modes and all that. And then turn down and, and turn into a, a visual approach, which is nice. Cause I like to click those off and just fly manually when I can, uh, paired up with this, um, it's a uh, great FO, um, uh, new FO to the company, um, just off, uh, OE, very professional, um, uh, flies very, very well. Um, came from uh, Composer airlines, uh, a couple of uh, months mm-hmm. ago and he's, uh, adapting nicely.
2: And then, uh, so, uh,
5: been doing that, and where else did I go? I'm looking at my schedule here because you know how trips kind of mesh together.
2: Did you go to like Stockton or something like that? And there was a really yeah, high yeah, crosswinds I, or something.
5: Yeah, that's that's right. We ended up in Stockton. Ended up in Stockton uh, you know, fighting the Annas there. It was <laughs> it was a little <laughs> I was a little interesting. I don't know what I don't know what it is with the winds in California, but um, yeah, Stockton it was a little windy. Um, it was funny at uh, at 1500 feet the wind was still straight crosswind, something like thirty five knots. And then by the time we landed, uh we touched down with uh well about a twenty five knot crosswind component. It's not too bad, but uh makes for a makes for a fun landing. Um and so uh and that was that. And then after Stockton, uh right out here to the, right out here to Dallas. And here I am. I'll be on the road till the fourth. So uh It'll be a little while before I get to go back home, but uh, it is what it is. I'm not suing for that.
2: <laughs> well, maybe so. you should.
4: Down the road, you're going to have some PTSD.
3: <laughs> so I know. You know. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> ah, yeah. All right. Well, good. Good to have you with us again on the show. Um yes, sir. And uh, also, good to have Steph with us. Uh, what's up, mm. Steph? Yes. Well,
4: speaking of things being a little windy, I feel like that's been the story of the weather around here either low overcast or lowish overcast and winds. It's very frustrating for aviation related activities or sky related activities. So um, since I talked to you last, we were planning to fly and jump all weekend and Saturday it was sunny, blue skies, very deceptive because it was quite gusty, um, but nothing, it wasn't steady winds. So um, it would be dead calm, like zero winds. And then two seconds later, a gust to about 25 knots and then calm again and kind of variable headings too. So that doesn't make for good jumping conditions, not great flying conditions either, to be honest, Mm. um, not in general aviation aircraft. And so we didn't do anything on Saturday and then Sunday it was windy again, not quite as bad, but overcast at about 4,000 feet, which is really not quite high enough to even send up. those hop and pop loads that we like to do. Um, and it finally cleared up a little bit towards the end of the day and we were able to do four loads of jumpers, which was disappointing after what we should have been a really busy weekend.
2: How much would Um, you uh, have in a normal, like normal day?
4: Oh, we probably could have done 20 loads of jumpers a day. It's a lot. It might not have been that busy in March, but certainly in the summer. Yeah. Hmm. Longer daylight hours. Um, also disappointing we didn't even fly on saturday um, but i was retrieving a headset from uh from the otter and took a funny step back off of the uh just getting out of the airplane not jumping plane on the ground not moving um there's a step that's probably about chair height off the ground just for reference got out of the plane the same way i always do and just managed to kind of hyper my knee twisted it oh. fell down <laughs> Kind of gross. Um, made a gross sound and now it's all swollen. doesn't hurt, but it's very swollen. So oh. that's disappointing, also. Um, it's getting better. I haven't had any issue like walking on it, but I haven't tested it running or anything. So lawsuit. Yeah.
7: Did of the they wallet. give you no. a uh, breath alcohol test step? <laughs> they did not. <laughs> Maybe they should.
3: Yeah, Maybe. Just
7: well, curious.
2: Liz mm, is saying mm-hmm. lawsuit. Lawsuit. Yeah, <laughs>
4: No, that was just, I, I don't even, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what happened because my foot, like the foot itself was probably only six inches off the ground when I let my other foot off of that, like the step.
3: Hmm. So
4: I, I'm struggling to figure out how I managed to do that, but I had injured this knee previously when I was a teenager, mm. um, trampoline related thing. So I assume it's something to maybe do with that still. Mm. I don't know, mm. but it is getting better. That's cool. Um, yeah, what else? That's that's about it. So, no flying now. No running.
3: no driving. Oh, so sad.
5: <laughs> it's been a fun week. No oh, okay. man. Well, we'll see what this. Now that you talk about all the all the all the all the knee issues and all this, I mean, I tell you that the the most dangerous part of my day is when I, you know, take the take steps up to the jet, and then at the end of the flight, take the steps down the jet, and I am so <laughs> so careful, especially when it's when it's you know well wet and windy and rainy mm-hmm. out. It's like you have to just. Inch your way down or up, because otherwise, it... imagine taking usually? a spill
2: from the top of those stairs all the way down. Oh yeah, you
5: could man. Could be,
2: are they you know, like the, so. the air stairs kind of stairs, or are they like a ladder thing that you got to get on?
5: No, they're they're air stairs, okay. uh, and and some some of our some of them have you know corrugated steps, and it kind of depends on. Sometimes yeah. it's your just your your standard uh, FBO steps, but mm-hmm. um, but but still, I mean, a flight of stairs is a flight of stairs. So yeah. you know, sometimes I see these 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 older gentlemen. Um, carrying their bag, steady,
2: up and, like, <laughs> <steady>. <laughs>
5: and uh, it won't be long he before he has one of those. And then, and then the problem is they get on their cars and their and their and their uh, and, and their brakes make uh, all sorts of weird, weird noises.
7: So, <laughs> uh, uh,
2: you just never know.
7: So, yeah, well, do you, we like to call it the brakes, but it's probably uh-huh. something else. <laughs>
2: One of the advantages of losing your hearing is that, uh, when the brakes have that high squealing noise, you can't hear mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. You <laughs> your kids go, can. dad, what's that squealing noise? I don't hear anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah <that's right>. <laughs> <laughs> Everything sounds, sounds good to me. All right. Um, last week I was in the midst of a trip, a Tuesday through Friday trip. So I guess that was my third day and, uh, came home the following day, Friday and, uh, was home uh, for a full day on Saturday, and then on Sunday, it was either Saturday night or Sunday morning, whatever, I noticed that uh, the uh, availability of crews to fly trips that uh, kind of pop up in what we call open time or the pot. The, the, uh, what do we call it? Trip pot? No. Anyway, available trips that need to be covered. Um, I noticed one was sitting there. It was a four-day. That left on Sunday. Normally, I don't fly on Sundays because I usually am singing at church. But uh, this past weekend, I was not. I, by the way, I do get to start singing again um, coming up. Um, well, let's see. Today is what Thursday, Saturday. so Saturday. Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll be. I'm back in the club, the singing club. Um, hey, baby But um, anyway, I thought. Well, you know, I should take advantage of the fact that I don't need to be um, at church on Sunday and. Uh, Looked at that four day trip, and I'm thinking, you know, kind of looks to me like uh, they may not have enough pilots, enough captains to uh, cover this trip. So I thought, just for the heck of it, I'm going to put in a request for what we call a green slip, which is a uh, overtime flying request. Uh, basically, um, the trip gets paid uh, double pay, and I got a call and said, "Hey, are you interested in in flying this?" four-day trip and i it was this is all electronic now it's an app that they send the stuff out and you can look at the trip and i went "Hmm, yeah i'd be interested in in flying oh it was saturday actually now that i'm thinking about it because on saturday i met up with um robert hamish um and who was with us in the or he was with us in the chat room earlier i'm assuming he's still there uh but uh, he has some family in the area and uh Said he was going to be in town, and if I were around and and uh, wanted to, we could get together. And we uh, ended up uh, meeting up in Alpharetta at a uh, at a uh, beer craft beer place. And so we grabbed a, a bite to eat in the uh, early afternoon and had some good beer. Anyway, I, I, the reason why I'm saying it, this all happened, uh, the trip assignment happened around that time, I think, right before I met up with uh, with Robert. And uh, so I left on Sunday. Um, now the downside. Well, many of you who have been listening to me for years understand that I don't really like flying at night, or I do fly during dark hours, but it's usually early in the day, like, you know, before the sunrise. Um, but um, flying into the evening is just not my my thing. Yeah, I would make a terrible freight pilot, because <laughs> that's where you spend most of your time, right? Flying at night? Yep. I love um, it. So, And, you know, when I was younger and my eyes were better, I was more comfortable flying at night. But uh, now that I'm a little bit older and eyesight is not like it was when I was in my 20s and 30s, uh, I just feel more comfortable flying in the daylight. Um, Anyway, uh, this thing flew into the uh, late evening on Sunday night. It was five flights. They're short flights. They were like Atlanta, Nashville, back to Atlanta, and then Birmingham, Atlanta, and then Little Rock. So that was the first day. I, I, I have to tell you, that was that kind of knocked not knocked me out but that was uh, more strenuous than i remembered you know normally i fly maybe 3 flights in a day and uh, so that was a very long day and now the flights have a little bit more time built in between them and so that makes it even a longer day and the reason that they've built in this extra time of course is because of the pandemic and the, all the cleaning procedures that they're doing and fogging the airplane in in, in between each flight and uh, they're really doing a, a very thorough job of cleaning these airplanes. So um, that just extends it. To, uh, uh, I think uh, I, I started, I think the sign in time was around 12 something, 12, in the afternoon and finally got to Little Rock um, at 1130 Little Rock time. So 12, it was like a 12, about a 12 hour day basically, but uh, weather was good. So that really helped. And then uh, the next day just did two legs to Myrtle beach and was there uh, for two nights so the for on Tuesday uh, didn't do a thing uh, didn't do any flying at all and then on Wednesday uh, just went to Atlanta and then did a Melbourne Florida turn and that was it so it was overall pretty nice trip and I think 10 flights all all said and done uh, and got paid double for it so I was pretty pleased with that. so that is what I have done since the uh, the last uh, episode and as I mentioned, uh, the the highlight of all that was uh, getting together with uh, Robert um, Fairbairn, who is in the
6: chat. He is who back. is
2: in the chat still? Hey, there you are. He's still here. Uh, had a great time. Uh, it was a little chilly. Um, we were. They had like a tent set up uh, in front of the building itself, and um, they had some. Uh, what do they call those those gas burner things that are heat lamps or whatever Patio inside heaters. there? But they weren't. Very effective. Uh, they uh, the call
7: climate changes.
2: Climate changers. Yeah, <laughs> um, they uh, the the wind. It was very windy. Uh, if it weren't for the, all the wind, it would have been very comfortable. But Robert and I were layered up and and layered. I said, um, and it was still kind of chilly mm-hmm. inside that uh, good tent.
6: You had to keep drinking beer.
2: We just we did uh, keep trying to uh, put in as much. Um, what, what would you call it? Um, Carbs refrigerant um, or what are they called yeah. um, what do you put in your car like to keep all. it from freezing like um, hmm?
7: vodka. Anti-freeze, anti-freeze anti-freeze yes <laughs> no We've,
2: it's only if you're in Russia we put in a, yeah <laughs> vodka same thing we put in a lot of uh, anti-freeze to uh, keep our insides as warm as possible uh, but have a couple of that's
7: good that's what vodka's for
2: yeah and in this case uh, it was uh, some higher higher uh, gravity beers yeah so anyway had a great time um talking with uh getting caught up with Robert. And uh, did you get your uh shot, Robert? He was supposed to get that on Monday, I think. So anyway. Um and and if so, where are you? Are you still in town or are you bat- well and this is probably not the place for us to have a personal conversation. So I should probably <laughs> move no, on. No,
5: no, by all means carry on. <laughs> we'll just no, yeah, yeah, We're it's just uh, we're
2: just flies on the wall here. <laughs> okay. Go for it. I'm sorry for completely forgot where I was and what I was doing. Um, so, and you know, you I, I do like mention this, to a lot of people that so I do the show and it's like getting together with good friends. Yeah. There's the squirrel. Um, I get together with my good friends every week and we talk mostly about aviation stuff and uh, yeah, we, we make a show out of it, but uh, really it's just an excuse for us to get together and kind of hang out with each other and, and have fun every week. So that is it from me. And I'm off until, April sixth or something like that. So I have vacation um, this next oh, week uh, for for Holy Week, and I'm going to be doing a lot of singing at the at the church, and uh, that's it. So, with that, I think we should move on to the coffee fund. And right on. Here we go. Johnny, how much more coffee? No
5: thanks.
2: I love coffee, I love tea, I love the APG community. community, coffee and tea, and the Java and me, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. The Coffee Fund. It's your way, dear listener, to support the show financially. There are a lot of ways to support us be part of our community, send in feedback, all that kind of stuff. But uh, if you have the resources, the financial resources to do so, it would be great if you join these other great people who are part of the Coffee Fund cadre. A couple different ways to uh, join us in the Coffee Fund. The first, the Coffee Fund Classic, that would be basically a PayPal donation page. You can do a one-time donation or a recurring donation. And we have Chris Randall, David Lieb, Wilfred Bag, or Bog and wigner orn Uh They use the Coffee Fund Classic method to contribute. Thank you, uh, gentlemen, for doing that. And the other way to support us via the Coffee Fund is to become a patron of the show via Patreon. And uh, let's say we have a new producer. Uh, he actually invented the autopilot. His name is Glenn Otto. Uh, so that's kind of <laughs> cool. And, you know, you think that he would be a higher-level producer, based on all the money he's getting from you know the whatever uh, the airlines yeah all the airlines buying these uh autopilots anyway and the uh yeah i know bad joke uh also wolfgang s the father of marcus s who became an executive executive producer last week wolfgang remember uh honeywell i believe um, works uh, in the aviation industry, and he Wolfgang is the one that actually got Marcus um, involved with uh, listening to our show. So uh, he is a new executive producer. So thank you, Wolfgang, for, for joining. A father and son kind of a team there. That's awesome. So thank you very much keeping for that. Keeping it so, in the family. Pardon me?
6: Keeping it in the family. Oh,
2: yeah. Liz says, keeping it in the family. So- if you're interested in becoming a patron of the show or you would like to become um, or just participate uh, in the Coffee Fun Cadre via the classic method, all that is uh, information on that is all on our website, airlinepilotguide.com. I'm losing the ability to speak. Airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee. There we go. <laughs> okay. That is it. Wow. Wow. I was doing so well at the beginning Ooh. there and then just like fell off a cliff at the very end. Hmm. Yeah. Oh well.
6: Do you need uh, a break, Jeff?
2: Do I need a break? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do need a break. No, you I'm, mind. Hey, uh, yeah. how about everybody else? Everybody else okay? Either
4: caffeine or beer? That one of those things will help yeah, Beer lives,
2: yeah. Uh would I'm be good. I'm good. Would be good. I, I think I can hold off until the uh until the plane tail for the beer. So why don't we just keep on moving on? Uh unless you need to take That's a break, good. Rick.
5: Yeah, give me two seconds. I'm just gonna put a cup of coffee on because it's a little, little nippy in here. Okay. Well, then two minutes.
2: In that case, I'm gonna go and um, grab a beer. So I'll be right back.
5: All right. Sounds good.
3: If I could, I'd fly for free. La la, la 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 la.
2: What do you think, Rick? You ready? Yes, sir. All right. Let and Liz, are we good? We're good. All right. Thank you. Who? <laughs> <laughs> who's that? Sorry. That's Poppy. So. Oh, that's Poppy. Okay. <laughs> Everybody on the on the stream are going looking at me like what is he, what is he talking about? I just hear a, a dog barking in the background and it's uh, Poppy uh, that I hear. Anywho. Okay, here we go. Feedback. Captain. Incoming message. This is from Ryan. He says hello. When I first found APG I thought Who the heck has three hours to listen to a podcast with these titles? (laughs) He doesn't like our titles, I guess. Then, after I heard two APG crew members interviewed by George Nolly, I realized how cool and entertaining you all are. Now, APG is the first three hours of podcast I listen to when your shows come out. Oh, very nice. Thank you for helping me be a more educated aviator. Sincerely, Ryan Ellison.
7: And well, illness, 50% more educated.
2: 50, at least 50%, mm-hmm. more or less.
7: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the other yeah. 50% I'd ignore if I were you. <laughs> yes. One. Could go either way. The tough part is
2: yep. knowing which 50% to listen to and learn from and which 50% to throw away. It's a
7: Good little point. bit of a crapshoot. Let is. me give you a clue. Uh, the further the show goes on, the more I drink.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and the less. So it gets better. Yeah. The less uh, you'll probably learn. (laughs) Anyway, Ryan sent us some audio feedback. You want to listen to it? Yes. All right, here we go.
1: Hello, APG crew and APG community. My name's Ryan. I'm from the MSP area. I fly CRJs out of DFW, but today I'm a FNG feedback new guy because of The flight from Minneapolis to Milwaukee via Duluth, while the ozone thing is a real limitation in the CRJ, it's rarely ever a factor flying in the lower 48 United States. What is the more likely explanation is that most CRJ flights are structurally limited weight for landing so on a 900, you have to land below 75,100 pounds. So if you have too much gas that you don't need and you're, you can fly a flight from Minneapolis to Duluth, check out Lake Superior, burn a little extra gas, which will make the aircraft way less upon landing in Milwaukee. You don't have to defuel anything, which can take a couple hours. You get the on-time departure, on-time arrival, carry all the people in their bags and everybody's happy I really enjoy your show I think you're making aviation safer and definitely in a more entertaining way I appreciate the two cents on the topics and news but since you're only going 50% I guess it's only one cent keep up the great work
2: well, thanks for your one cent worth of
7: mm-hmm. feedback. Finally, we're keeping it. <laughs> keeping it. I'm not giving it away. Yeah. Up. I like it. So, uh, is that minus Nota? Nota, yeah. Oh, okay. S- so, okay. I,
2: I, I'm thinking, well, then why take off with more fuel than you need? But then he said, that's going to be my question. I, I guess. So, I guess
4: yeah. perhaps if there was an aircraft swap yeah, it right, yeah. for something that was already fueled for something else yeah. and it's going to yeah, take a while to defuel yeah.
2: yeah yeah i could see that i, mean, I guess yeah. um that makes sense. and sometimes you have to take off with m- more fuel because of like a like a takeoff alternate requirement or a de- or, mm-hmm. a, or a, a, a destination alternate uh, but then it, it's kind of like a fine line you know with having enough and then too much because and then you're over your max landing weight. So, I guess in the past, w- when, with situations like this, you go to your destination and just hold like 30 miles out or whatever, and just hold for a while and burn up the gas. Maybe throw some some uh, drag out on the airplane to help you know get rid of the gas faster. But uh, I guess it makes sense. Just instead of doing holding patterns, just go fly up and do some sightseeing up in Duluth. In the Great Lakes? I don't know.
7: Sounds well. More actually, the passengers are, are likely to be less upset because they think mm-hmm. they're making progress the whole time. Yes. Good point. Unless they're sitting yeah.
4: back there watching Flight Radar Twenty Four going. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think we we're going what? to Canada today. But,
2: uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, Excuse me, Miss. Would you please ask the yeah. pilots if they if they know where they're going? <laughs>
7: that's <laughs> yeah, where the captain's mom lives. I, I've already, you yeah, know, too I think, many times. So.
2: Yeah, I think you did make yeah. that point earlier on. So yeah. you're probably right.
4: Now I have yeah, been a passenger we, on an aircraft that had to um, delay departure to burn fuel because we um, had too much fuel for for takeoff they're over our max takeoff weight. Yeah, mm-hmm.
7: there, uh-huh. are, mm-hmm. yeah there, there are. Yeah,
4: there That happened there at are. Heathrow, Nick. Just letting you know.
7: So. There you Those Heathrow refuelers—they're always very generous, <laughs> chaps.
4: Uh-huh. <laughs> Have a little extra. They're, they're just givers. Yep.
7: Give, give, give. A little extra from mom. Um... <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah,
5: but I mean, oftentimes you, you, you will take off with more fuel than you need for that particular flight for all the reasons that we've stated. But then there's another one when um, uh, the, the price difference of the fuel ah,
2: hold on to where that you thought. are versus. Hold ah. on to that thought, Rick. There's some feedback. Oh, I see where you're Later I on. I see. That uh, kind of I addresses see. specifically what you're just talking about right there.
5: Very nice. Very so. nice.
2: There we go. All right. Well, thank you, Ryan, for sending in the audio, and welcome to the APG. And 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 thank uh, if you talk to George, thank uh, him for interviewing. Uh, by the way, have you had a chance to uh, get on with uh, George, um, Steph?
4: Nope, not okay. yet.
2: One of these I'm days little... you're going to hear. Uh, one of these days, I Steph on, on his show, and probably one of these days here from Miami Rick as well. But I think it's been uh, Nick and myself who have been interviewed by uh, George Nolly on the Ready for Takeoff podcast. Anyway, okay. Uh, Let's continue with Captain Peter. He sent us a couple of uh, pieces of feedback here. We'll start with the first. Uh, Hello, Captain Jeff Crew. Episode 462 was a doozy generating two feedbacks from me. There is not much flying for me at present, so idle hands. My second is regarding uh, the audio feedback on the possibility of maintenance being an issue in the United... Oh, audio feedback? You sent audio feedback? Uh Uh-oh. I don't really, I don't see that in no. here.
6: I think previously he mu- no, no, he's he's referring to feedback that was sent in about oh I
2: see okay that we so, played
6: on four sixty two.
2: He is he is referring to audio feedback that we played on on uh episode four sixty two. Thank you, Liz, for straightening that. I was very confused. Anyway, uh he you said work. the possibility of maintenance being an issue in the United Triple Seven Blade issue and it reminded uh, him of a time here at Acme East. Our newer 747s are Pratt & Whitney 4000 and GE Gen X powered. As an aside, these are the same Pratt & Whitney engines that rained blades over Belgium recently. And so at least one country we operate to will not allow these aircraft to take off or land there. Only overfly. Well, still, they could. if they're overflying, there's still a chance that they thing. blow I don't blow understand
4: up. <laughs> the logic there. You can still drop stuff onto the yeah. ground from the air.
2: That's the way I'm hmm. looking at it, too. That's interesting. Hmm. And then he says, I digress. Previously, all of our 747s were Rolls-Royce RB211 powered.
5: Well, there's the- your problem. I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> hey, that's what powered my TriStar. <laughs> and, and they did a great job. Tell us and how I, you really I,
4: feel, Rick. Tell us I, how you really <laughs> feel. Uh,
2: these were generally a reliable engine, although being three spooled were a little more sensitive to airflow upsets. We had no auto start, so had to be very vigilant with the starts. As I said, reliable until they were not. Around ten years ago, we started having failures, and not just rundowns, bits of metal out the back kind. It wasn't affecting other airlines, so flight ops thought it must be the way we're operating and changed the start, takeoff, and climb procedures. Nothing helped, and at one stage, we were having two engines fail a month. Eventually, it was traced. The question is, did yeah. he sue? Uh, okay. He probably should. <laughs> And now that yeah, he's listened he to the yeah. earlier news items, <laughs> like, he's, he's yeah. probably thinking light bulb, you know, that
4: working idle hands. right now, <laughs> and, you know,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually it was traced to a bad batch of blades. Once this was rectified, all was back to normal. I was one of the crew caught up in this and kindly the engineering department sent me the photos from the teardown. These clearly show what happens when blades let loose inside an engine, not a pretty sight. And uh, he sent uh, here. Let me share these with you all so you can uh, see some of the photos that he was sent. Um, that is the first set. Um, high pressure compressor stage three at the top. And then the middle section here, high pressure compressor stage five. About 25 each blades, leading edge, minor damage all right let's see I think there's more okay um look at that bottom six photos there There
7: there's some pretty looks Looks like my (laughs) teeth
4: I was actually this is a complete aside you'll probably just want to remove this from the final edit but when I like when you just get the little thumbnail of what's in the Uh um feedback on Evernote yeah um they kind of look like the way colonoscopy pictures print out
2: (laughs) (laughs) Really?
4: Oh, look! Like the inside of Captain, someone's colon.
2: Captain Peter's oh, has, his colonoscopy <laughs> <Sorry>. pictures.
4: <laughs> like, I was scrolling. I was like, "What is? Uh, oh, okay." I had to like...
2: <laughs> well, wait a minute. Maybe yeah. these are anyway. his colonoscopy <laughs> <laughs>
4: colonoscopy pictures or yeah. fan blades.
2: You decide. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see. Here's another set. And that, now I see the little arrow. I see. I see that over there. You can see that on the screen.
6: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. And anyway, a whole bunch of blades with or something. <laughs> With a lot of damage. Damage, yeah. So there you go. Um, stop screen sharing and continue with Captain Peters' narrative. Well, that was it for that. No, there was more. Um, on a lighter side, my wife happened to be sitting in the cockpit for the dawn arrival into Amsterdam when Number Four let go, a sight not many people outside the business see. She still reminds oh, is me. Was that a
7: coincidence?
2: Yeah. She still reminds me of my first comment after the lurch, bang, and red glow out the starboard window. What the, I'm sorry, what the beep was that? So much for standard operating procedures. We did eventually start to sing from the correct hymn book. (laughs) Keep the blue side up, Captain Peter. Yeah, I would imagine that things probably get a little crazy when one of the engines blows up and you go, Mm. what? Yeah,
7: that. That wasn't that dramatic, but Jilly came onto the flight deck just as we had a number two engine failure uh, finishing our uh, oceanic crossing uh, once coming back from New York. Huh. Oh, well, I indeed. blamed it on her. Yeah. Old wives.
2: Mm. <laughs> I'm sure it was all her fault. Okay. It old was.
6: wives' tales.
2: <laughs> um, Liz says, Old wives' tales.
6: Not that Jilly's old.
7: I didn't say it. First, Liz? <laughs> Very good. All right. I shall tell Jilly
2: that. (laughs) And then listen, not that Jilly's old. Oh, yeah. Um, Also from Captain Peter, uh, the gift that keeps giving a sad tale. Hi, crew. A few comments after listening and enjoying episode 462. Captain Nick, you are absolutely correct. That 3% of the max takeoff weight, 447 tons for the 747-8 is a large number when checking the weight and balance being approximately plus or minus 13 tons. So this is really a gross error check. As Captain Rick mentioned, the C of G check within 3% is probably the more important of the two items checked. Wonderful to also listen to Captain Nigel D's dissertation on the effects of the pandemic, especially on Cathay Pacific and Hong Kong. Working for Acme East, I cannot say I'm an expert on Cathay operations, although I will pass on some information that I've gleaned. Captain Nigel pointed out many of Cathay's problems. However, since his recording, time has moved on, and not for the better. Since the Hong Kong Health Authority has implemented a three-week hotel quarantine for all arriving passengers and excluded completely those from so-called very high-risk countries, the UK being one of these, passenger numbers have fallen on Cathay's system from 100,000 per day to about 400, a total route. Wow, that's a huge difference. 100,000 to 400.
4: Hmm. I mean, it's almost a negligible amount of passengers at that point. Uh, you it's know?
2: like, yeah, why bother, right? That's nothing. Hmm. Captain Nigel pointed out that the only bright spot was the cargo section, and this was true up until three weeks ago when the health authorities enforced a two-week hotel quarantine. We talked about this in the news segment, didn't we? On all local-based aircrew after overnighting anywhere, which in crewing terms is like a noose being forever tightened as you will eventually run out of crew. On arrival into Hong Kong after my trip, or any trip, if not quarantined, for example, a turnaround, the crew are tested for COVID on arrival, after 7 days, after 12 days, after 15 days, and lastly, after 19 days, unless the crew work again, which restarts the cycle. A lesson and how to destroy aviation in a few easy steps. Also, to destroy the inside of your nose. Um, Really? Anyway. He says, always the blue side up. And then he sent us a picture. I think we have that in the overlays section, Liz, if you want to yes, share sir. that, the cockpit uh, sunshine.
7: Uh, right there. there. I had a feeling they were doing those swabs from the other end
2: uh, in China. <laughs> well, maybe. Could be, actually. Uh, that's a nice picture that uh, Captain Peter snapped from outside of the uh, cockpit looking in and the sun rising, I'm guessing. Maybe setting.
7: Is oh. his first dose of dead?
2: Could be. He's kind of you lurching see. off to the side a little bit. Isn't he?
7: <laughs> <laughs> Just curious. Uh, That's a lovely picture, though. It's a
5: good, beautiful mm-hmm. picture. And you can tell it's a, it's a freighter because it has a uh, do not have a door. It has a curtain, oh, which is yeah. a stove. Well, off, to the, uh, off to the right there. I didn't and even then, know. Uh, so. yeah. now, and do then, you think uh, that he
2: removed all the uh, registration and insurance and all those certificates that are usually in these little holder things before he took the picture? Just to kind of eliminate any identification.
3: I don't.
7: Just know. curious. Perhaps they keep them in a folder. We used mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah, I probably keep them in a folder because mm-hmm. if you look at the uh. reflection of the second one, you can see
5: the you can see the window, uh, the reflection of the window on that second one there. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know. But okay. we, we keep them on there. We keep
7: yeah, ours up. are kept like
2: you know in these little.
7: Do you have to put things? your captain's certificate at the top there Rick, when you get on board? <laughs> yeah, <When you're> like, <laughs> college diploma. Like Steph you know. has a. Her, or diploma. Um, M D.
5: Yeah. Nah. I'll uh. I'll uh. I'll, I'll put my late my, my latest uh, finger paint masterpiece up there. Uh,
2: <laughs> I love the one that you did with the turkey with your hand. You like that one? Yeah, the Thanksgiving yeah, one. Yeah, that's always. Yeah, that's that, that, cool.
5: that was a good one. That one's that one's still on the jet. I think.
2: Yeah. Nice. Was, uh... Pilot art. All right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you, Captain Peter, for the uh, feedback. We do appreciate it. And uh, hopefully things start looking up for the better for you and your carrier. All right. Continuing.
6: One and a half hour mark now, Jeff. This
2: is from, uh, thank you, Liz. This is from Andy. He said, CVG Cincinnati, not a focus city? As this incredibly detailed article explains, it looks like Delta is dumping Uh, KCVG or Covington field, basically Northern Kentucky, but it is close to Cincinnati, Ohio. So they call it, most people call it Cincinnati as a focus city after a long, happy marriage. So what does this mean operationally? Will it no longer be a crew base? Yeah, it is no longer a crew base, by the way. Uh, what do you speculate will happen to an airport of that size that loses a mainline carrier like this? Kind regards. And it's Andy. But Alpha Hotel and then with a little wink, like...
6: We don't go that way anymore. Yeah, he, know,
2: do he, th- he knows how we feel about phonetic identifications. Um, so the, the uh, URL that he gave us, a link to Airways Magazine, Delta zaps Cincinnati as focus city. Uh, speaking at a Raymond James conference on Monday, Delta Airlines President Glenn Hounstein announced the airline will drop Cincinnati, Nashville, and San Jose as focus cities. Now, to be honest with you, I'm thinking, I'm not really sure what a focus city is. Has
6: ACME is. them too? I Has think, ACME well,
2: ACME, them? you know, in many, many ways is similar to Delta Airlines. Okay. And uh, we do also have focus cities. Uh, and again, I didn't know what, know what they were, uh, but now I'm all focused on it. Uh, the news comes as Delta <laughs> along with most all other airlines trim routes as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. The carrier will however maintain Austin and Raleigh-Durham as focus cities. Cincinnati used to be a full-fledged DL hub, but over the past years, a dozen years or so, it has declined in importance. The CEO of the Cincinnati Airport, Candace McGraw, says that C- CVG remains a top 20 airport on the Delta network. However, Delta no longer operates a pilot based there and only has only a satellite base for cabin crew. Uh, Delta has operated f- uh, focus cities that are separate from its hub locations, according to flightglobal.com. Um, Delta has three levels of classifications for the cities it serves. Again, this is kind of interesting to me, um, information I didn't really quite grasp. Atlanta, Detroit, Minneapolis-St. Paul, and Salt Lake City are its core hubs, where it focuses on driving connectivity said Amy Martin, Managing Director of Domestic Network Planning at Delta. One rung lower are Boston, Los Angeles, New York, John F. Kennedy, and LaGuardia airports, and Seattle-Tacoma, which are called coastal hubs. These are 10 markets where the airline before the pandemic operated more than are the top 10 markets where the airline before the pandemic operated more than 150 peak day flights and offered some level of connectivity. And then the next rung down are the focus cities where uh, the airline sees a lot of youthful presence, strong corporate standing, and above average growth for the industry. At these cities, Delta offered a certain number of point-to-point flights based on the needs of the business community. So what does it mean For CVG, at Cincinnati, dropping the Focus City ranking means that instead of serving the top 25 markets from their airport, they'll serve the top 10 or top 15. It's going to be the destinations that are relevant, and this ultimately depends on the return of business traffic, according to Joe Esposito, Delta's senior vice president of network planning. Raleigh and Austin are both important to Delta because Raleigh um, is the... uh, what do they call that? The uh, Research Triangle?
4: Research, Research Triangle. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
2: Austin because of their barbecue. Um, yeah. Wait a minute. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's the only thing I can think of when I think Southwest. of Austin. Southwest. <laughs> uh, anyway, obviously, these are fast-growing city centers, and uh, especially Austin. I mean, that's becoming the new Silicon Valley, I think, um, slowly but surely. Anyway, there you go. All I know is that uh, at Acme Airlines, I used to go to uh, Austin quite often, but uh, not anymore. They're putting bigger airplanes on that, on those routes. So I'm missing my barbecue. Wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Mm. But, uh, so there you go. Focus Cities. Uh, I learned something new. Thank you. Um, thank you, Andy, for sending in the article that uh, got me up to speed on that. All right, you know it just didn't make sense uh, for that airline, especially after the merger with Northwest Airlines, that they had Cincinnati as a sort of a major hub and Detroit, and they're pretty close geographically. And uh, there was a lot of, a lot of, um, I don't know, cross overlap, overlap, overlap yeah, perhaps
4: duplication,
2: duplication, mm-hmm. yeah. So they decided we need to eliminate. One or the other, and they chose Cincinnati. I and guess.
4: that's probably the type of thing that's being evaluated all the time, anyway, because yeah. you want to have your business where it's going to be the strongest for you.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Good point, but uh, don't worry too much about old CVG. CVG will be fine. It's <clears throat> yeah, up- turned, it's fast becoming a, uh, a a huge cargo hub. It's been a cargo hub for DHL for years, and now um, Amazon's going to base their uh, their their operations center there. And uh, at least on the cargo side of things. Uh, CVG is going to be, uh, you know, just fine.
2: Yeah. I, I was having this conversation with the, uh, FO on my last trip and he said the the very same thing. He said that, uh, he, that he got into Cincinnati recently and said the place is kind of going like gangbusters, regardless of what's oh, happening yeah. with the passenger carriers. So mm-hmm. that's good. The good yeah. folks of Cincinnati deserve that. Yeah, and absolutely. Northern Kentucky. Okay. Um, We always had to make sure that we included Northern Kentucky when we told everybody we were flying to Cincinnati. We didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings.
4: They they get confused when they get off the plane. It's like, welcome to Kentucky. And they go, uh.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like when we first, you know, when they first opened up DFW and everybody just said we were flying to Dallas. And then people would say, excuse me, it's a Dallas Fort Worth International Airport. Don't forget about Fort Worth even have memos that said make sure that you say fort worth
4: <laughs> it's all those airports that are in london right nick
7: uh yeah we we get a bit upset with you guys stealing our names <clears throat> what did we steal um by the way <laughs> um i was no, just out? thinking
4: of, like you know <laughs> the places that are you know oh
2: have like attached to the name of the
4: airport and uh, uh, it's not actually anywhere near london
2: it's it's
7: flattery bad, think, right yeah yeah, yeah. uh Well, it is until you say London, England, and we go, yeah, there's only one London. All the others you can, you know, qualify. London, Ontario. You don't need to qualify London because there's only one of it. Hmm.
4: Fair enough. Mm. Okay.
6: Protest, protest. (laughs) Wait a minute. In my
2: ear, I'm hearing a protest from uh, somebody that lives up in Canada. Um,
6: London, Ontario.
7: London, Ontario. London,
6: Ontario. Ontario. Yeah, London,
7: England. Uh, London came first, so you can have a London, but you have to qualify. You don't qualify our London. Okay, uh-huh. you know what? I really miss Good. London, England. So, how do you <laughs> really feel, Nick? Let's, let's move
2: right along.
3: I'm
5: <laughs> sorry, I, I, I opened that can.
7: Wow.
4: move on. <laughs> it's like
7: people who say the Royal <laughs> Not where Army.
4: I anticipated that that was going to go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Moving what, along.
7: What'd you say, Nick? The Royal. It's like, Olymp- it's like the Navy. Uh, there's only one Navy because we were the first. We had the first Navy in the world. Uh, you can call the, all your navies something else, but if you're just going to say the Navy, that's our Navy.
3: Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah.
4: You we'll can have we'll disagree US
7: on Navy. that and circle back yeah, we'll to that yeah, on the next podcast yeah. all exactly. about
2: the Navy. <laughs> yes.
7: Yeah. Captain the Nick Navy. at airlinepilotguy.com. Uh, to be more precise, the Royal Navy.
6: And now hearing from Thomas. <laughs> yeah, John you know, in the well, chat we
7: understood
2: where I was going. We so don't you, call John. ours the Royal Navy.
7: Yeah. You could if you wanted, but then we'd have to come over there and sort you out. Okay. <laughs> <Keep> <laughs> Actually, mind. no. We could uh, just uh, we could just <laughs> make you part of our navy. Now and that'd be an even better idea.
2: <laughs> you know what? I think this would be a good time for us to move on. Um,
7: yeah. I, so. <laughs> I didn't start this. By the way, um, is uh, Kentucky mm-hmm. in Arkansas?
4: Yes. Moving on. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Kentucky or Kansas. Okay. Uh, we got some feedback from Thomas. <laughs> Save us, Thomas. Uh, he says, how long will it take for passenger airlines to recover? Well, I, that's uh, essentially what he's writing or, or sending in audio about. He said, hi, Jeff, Liz, and crew. It's been ages since I submitted audio feedback. Here you go. Be well and take care. Thomas Witherspoon. So without further ado, let's hear what Thomas has to say.
0: Hello APG crew, this is Thomas Witherspoon in Asheville, North Carolina. I hope everyone's doing well and staying healthy out there. Um, it's been ages since I sent an audio feedback and I know that for a couple of reasons. Number one, I was going through my iPhone recently in the uh, voice recordings and I found four audio feedbacks I'd made for the APG show and never submitted them. <laughs> and uh, I think even part of it, Partly in my head, I thought I had submitted some of them, but uh, what happens is a lot of times I listen to the show when I'm hiking and I'm out far away and not really near cell phone coverage, I'll make a recording and just forget to submit it later. And I probably never will submit these because frankly, uh, some of them, I bet you that they are a hundred episodes old, some of them at this point. Um, And then number two, I was recently having a little exchange with uh, our Captain Nick here on Facebook. And I was telling him a funny story uh, that happened to me on Christmas Eve. Um, so, like Nick, I'm a ham radio operator. I actually have a, a blog uh, called the SW Welling Post, which uh, is about ham radio and shortwave radio and that sort of thing. And um, uh, one of my readers and good friends, Andy, uh, lives in, in the same part of the UK where I used to live at one point. And uh, he and I were doing... I was working on a project with him he's helping me uh, do some coding on a little board that he's made to fit on an hf transceiver it's a really cool project that andy's put together and um, basically he's walking me through it and we're working on the instructions for it and that sort of thing and uh, while we had the soldering iron out we were just kind of chit-chatting and he mentioned in a ham radio podcast he really likes and i said yeah you know i've heard of that podcast and i've even listened to it a couple times but frankly i hardly have time to listen to podcasts during the week because i listened to the apg show And I told him about the Airline Pilot Guy show. And I said, you know, it's three hours long, which is usually about the maximum amount of uh, podcast time I have during a week, but I love the long format. And uh, I suggested it to Andy because uh, he's an electronics engineer and I know that he's worked uh, with aviation electronics before. And uh, anyway, we started talking about other things and working on the code a little bit. And then it hit me all of a sudden, I said, you know, Andy, one of the hosts of the show lives in the same general area you do in the UK. And he said, are you talking about Nick Anderson? And <laughs> I fell out of my chair. Turns out he just lives a couple of streets over from Nick. Uh, they are neighbors. And, uh, it's just one of those beautiful small world moments where, you know, our hobbies and interests and activities and, uh, everything, uh, kind of all come together. And, uh, Nice. We are the world moment and turns out they know each other and uh, I think it's great. And Nick, as I told you on Facebook, Andy's an awesome guy. You're so lucky to have him as a neighbor. Um, uh, he's just such an interesting guy. And, uh, anyway, I just thought that was fun to pass along. Uh, so, uh, really I've got a question. It was in one of my old audio feedbacks from uh, last year. And I realize I don't think I've ever heard this discussed completely. Um, uh, but, uh, it deals with the pandemic, uh, but kind of a different way. Um, so I'm not, I don't work in the aviation industry. Um, uh, you know, I'm not a pilot or anything. Um, but I do follow aviation news, of course and uh, I'm also into economics and business news and that sort of thing. And it seems like general sort of consensus is that it's going to take a while for the airline industry to uh, recover from the pandemic. And in fact, uh, you guys kind of confirmed it an episode or two ago when you were talking with uh, someone who had audio feedback and they were asking about if they should fast track their commercial pilot's license and or, uh, you know, uh, take a little bit longer route. And you guys were kind of hinting that, hey, it would. this is not a bad time to take a little longer uh, so that the uh, industry can recover and new pilots can be hired once again. And uh, to me, sort of a layperson, it just seems to me like uh, you know, once people start getting vaccinated and we beat down COVID-19 a bit, which looks like it's on a good trajectory right now, that there's all this pent up travel energy. Um, I mean, almost all my friends that love traveling just can't wait uh, for things to really start freeing up and countries opening up and they can go travel again safely. Uh, Just meaning, you know, that um, there's no quarantine periods. There's no nothing like that, uh, you know, once it's been beaten down. And I hope that that'll happen, you know, this year. But obviously, it's going to take longer than that for the airline industry, at least the passenger airline industry, to recover. And uh, I'm just curious, what? Why is that exactly? I'm, I'm guessing it's some infrastructure things, like maybe just being able to pivot and go back to full capacity. Um, but uh, it seems to me like you know there would be actually a massive surge, uh, you know, in people wanting to travel. So any insight you have uh, would be much appreciated. Um, as long as it's at least 50% accurate, I'll be good with it. And uh, thank you guys so much for the awesome show. I've been listening now since uh, uh, Rick and uh, Stephanie joined, uh, so it's been, it's been a while, and I have to say, the production value's always been great, um, but since Liz came on and start doing, uh, started producing the show, man, it has really just gone up seven levels, and it's so, so impressive. You guys do such an awesome job. It's just a pleasure to listen to it. And I like hearing uh, Liz's commentary every once in a while, too. So um, uh, thanks, you guys, for all the time and effort you put into this. It's just a wonderful show. I'm a very proud Patreon supporter. So um, uh, thank you so much. Uh, Keep the blue skies above you. Um, Tailwinds and all those good things. And stay safe and healthy out there.
2: Don't encourage her,
0: Thomas.
4: Seven levels. That's oddly specific, but I like it. Yeah, I know. So, I know. Baby, baby. Yeah.
5: Okay. No, now, Liz, you have to you have to shoot for that eighth level now.
2: let all hold like
7: a computer I'm suing, game. Insane. I'm
6: suing you for
7: a raise. We are Unlock some world. sort of bonus. Uh, you know. <laughs> Still, uh, uh, Andy is a lovely guy, uh, and uh, it was quite by coincidence that I met him because I was chatting with that old spacecraft friend of mine. I talked about on a VHF, uh, discrete frequency. And, um, uh, I don't know if Andy had a ladder incident. I don't know. <laughs> or a stool. That was stool. <laughs> did, you, did you get a gift from Andy lately? <laughs> did he ladder his stockings? I, I don't know. Um, anyway, I was chatting. I won this frequency and up pump popped this, uh, other call sign. And you normally don't interrupt people who just picked a frequency and having a chat. But he said, uh, I just got this amazingly strong signal uh, from you, Nick. Um, you must be very close to me. And of course, it turned out he was literally two streets away. We um, wow. met for a beer and, um, you know, we have helped the local scouts out with one of their uh, round the world communication days and uh, bumped into him just the other day, actually. Uh, he was uh, heading up to a bit of high ground uh, with some. Um, experimental masts, uh, and uh, we were chatting about a new project he's got of uh, um, building his own keypad to go onto a new ready. He's a very clever chap. Interesting job, I think. He surveys places where you might want to put up a cell phone mast. Mm. I didn't know that was a job, but apparently it is anyway. He's a lovely guy. You're quite right. And uh, great, great feedback, uh, Thomas. I, no idea how to answer your question. <laughs> uh, I, I don't have a crystal ball, sadly. Yeah, the um,
2: speaking of production value and all that kind of stuff, every, every time we get in audio feedback from Thomas, it's always top quality. Um, great voice and very clear. You can tell he's a ham radio guy. He you knows a little bit about audio, right?
7: Oh, he's probably got
2: some good uh, microphones, yeah. yeah. It was nice
4: hearing the ambiance and the birds in the background. Yeah. So yeah. On his.
5: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely like yeah.
2: that. Um, yeah. Regarding his question, Steph, you have any ideas on that?
4: Yeah. You know, I can see, I can kind of see both sides of the coin with how long will it take for passenger airlines to recover. And I think it's going to be very um, different in different parts of the world, depending on tolerances for risk and the like, um, without getting into too many specifics and or Politics, Um, but I think you know we've kind of touched on this already a little bit with the stuff that's been going on in Hong Kong and how strict things are there. And I can't speak to what um, you know their numbers look like, but um, there's certainly a lot of countries around the world that are not taking chances with this virus, and um, they're not going to let things get back to pre-pandemic you know levels of business until things are very clearly under control. And then there's a lot of other places in the world that say, well. You know, we need these industries to to keep going um, for the economy and the like, and we're going to take more risks with it, perhaps. And I think there's going to be um, probably in the U.S. more than in other places, this pent up travel for or pent up uh, demand for travel. So I think you'll start to see it opening up sooner in some places than most people might think otherwise.
2: Yeah, here in the just anecdotal um, experience from me in the last few weeks, especially the last couple of trips. Every single flight, no matter where we're going, what market it is, we're filling up that airplane to the max that, you know, based upon the, uh, having the center seat on, on one side, because we have the two and three arrangement. By the way, the three is on the first officer side and the two is on the captain's side.
4: I'm glad you found <laughs> I paid closer out.
2: attention to it when I was <laughs> saying goodbye to the passengers. I go, oh, okay. Yeah. Just it's like the, MD90. Of the Mad Dog, right? Yeah. Well, the Mad the, Dog, yeah, was the opposite way yes. and the 90 was just mm-hmm. like the, um, with the, seven uh, and seven, that's right, that's the right, two right. and okay. three mm-hmm. uh but anyway that that center seat um with exception uh is pretty much staying staying open uh, unless there's like a family or a couple or whatever uh with each other um
4: now i've flown on other airlines not mm-hmm. acme um yeah. in the recent past and several of those airlines are not blocking any seats anymore and they are full also jammed full,
5: full. Oh, yeah. yeah absolutely yeah, so uh, yeah. I hear every I, other week and it's packed. packed.
2: It's, it's the U.S. Um, it's, it's, I think it's going to happen a lot faster than anybody thought it would. I think the summer is just we're going to kick, you know what, um, this summer. In fact, I think a lot of airlines probably have underestimated the, the crewing requirements and the airplane requirements out of storage and everything else to kind of cover uh, what is probably going to be just an amazing um, summer here domestically. Mm-hmm.
4: And I also think, you know, and I think this is U.S. specific as well, but in terms of pilot shortage, I think we're going to see that come back into play very quickly, more so than people think, just because that demand's going to go up. You've had all of these um, pilots who are closer to retirement age taking early retirements with the pandemic. You've had people not, um, you know, going through training as quickly. And I think there's going to be more of a shortage than is anticipated. It's going to come back into play real quick.
5: Yep absolutely I mean uh, a lot of airlines um, and this is, this is from talking to people obviously in the business um, have recalled a lot of their pilots or if not all of their pilots um, you know, back up to flight status because of what Steffi just mentioned here and uh, so I do think that but, but at least on the passenger side well, uh, here in the states uh, things are looking up way up so that, that's certainly good news
7: yep yeah you guys are coming out of this a lot quicker than we are in Europe. Um we have bigger problems in that uh, Europe you know, is not really a bunch of states, it's a bunch of countries, and everybody, even in the uh, um, EU, everyone wants to have their own say as to how their um, country uh, allows people in and out, which makes it incredibly complicated. And with mainland Europe now um, into their third wave, in the UK we've had our third wave Be coming down, even though we would love in the UK to open up transport, um, it's likely that we're going to close our border to a lot of European countries uh, because we don't want uh, to bring their third wave and give us a fourth wave. You know, it's uh, until everyone is inoculated and everything. Has settled down, it's still going to be a major problem. So I say we're lagging behind you by at least six months, Mm -hmm. if not longer. And just listening to Nigel and his predictions of what's happening out the Far East, um, it might even be worse out there. So Mm -hmm. I think you uh, individually, uh, your aviation industry is going to do a lot better than it is in the rest of the world, which is. Yeah, You guys can have a great domestic market. You may not have a recovery international market yeah, for correct. a while yet. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I've got an idea, Nick. We should just open things up freely between um, the UK and America at this point. And-
7: I think just between London and Charlotte. That'd I think be so, fine. yes. Be- <laughs> Is that London, <laughs> London, <across>? England?
4: <laughs> uh well, can we make an exception for London, Ontario? You, you just got to right. make sure
7: you, you know, lay over. I, make sure you lay over like an anchorage. A, you'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Right. I felt like a lazy old fish there watching a hook with a worm on it just float by. Uh, but it, it moved before I could snap at it. <laughs> oh, good for you. All right.
2: Well, um, it is a small world, isn't it, uh, regarding you know people that we know, and not necessarily even in aviation, but... Uh, all
7: kinds of different well, I, Aren't we all supposed to have any six uh, levels of separation? Six degrees so of separation? Separation. Mm-hmm. Something like yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, between us and anybody. Mm, so, bacon. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, uh, let's
2: continue with uh, this next one here from Ben. Uh, he sent this to us on Facebook. We're on Facebook, by the way. Um, some of us, <laughs> mostly, mostly Liz and Nick. Uh, I don't really get there very often, but... Uh, You know, if they tell me there's something going on over there that uh, needs my attention, they'll bring it to my attention. But here's a great example of it. Uh, Ben put this on Facebook, and now it's here in our feedback. He says, airline pilot guy, the biggest thing I've found with communicating to pilots in my 12 years in air traffic control is know your audience. A good controller should alter their delivery to suit the pilot, especially when you know you may have difficulties. As an example... I can speak to, say, a regional pilot or Qantas quite normally, rather brisk, and if I use plain English, say to explain how I'm going to vector them to make the sequence work so they have a good expectation of the plan, they don't get confused. International carriers, especially those from non-English speaking backgrounds, you tend to speak a bit slower, over-enunciate a little, and talk really, really loudly, almost yelling. And No, I'm sorry. He didn't say that. I added that. Uh, over-enunciate a little and stick to standard phraseology as much as humanly possible. Yes. Just like the controllers at the John F. Kennedy International Airport in New York. Student pilots. Not. You, <laughs> student pilots, uh, you tend to just need to slow down the rate a little and ensure you're enunciating well. Uh, yeah. Like, proceed with them. proceed left bound that's (laughs) uh yeah (laughs)
6: going left bound
2: foreign students may struggle a little and need to stick to mostly standard but this improves with experience and they have an instructor with them most of the time most importantly as i was taught early on slow down to speed up you naturally want to talk faster and faster and faster when you get busy but it's of no use if you have to explain yourself twice or more to get the
7: result Good. Mm-hmm. Good. Slow is fast. Yes. Yeah. Good Usually, advice. Uh, you include a, a, a telling off of the pilot who didn't quite catch it, <laughs> explaining how busy you are, and then you have to say it again. So, <laughs> New York. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> <It's not laughs> that Something bad. about Come
4: working on. multiple frequencies, <laughs> and everyone just told, Don't say anything until I talk to you. Then, yeah, yeah. You,
2: know, you always right hear right the. You always hear the story of the the, the southern. Good old boy, Southern pilot heading up to New York. And he goes, you know, you can either talk to me, the speed at which I'm talking to you, and just communicate what you need to communicate once, or you can talk super fast and take, you know, whatever the saying is. You know, it's just like, it should take forever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good it with the these things.
4: Says, I'm sure there's I a like, saying in there somewhere. There's a I really
2: like good thing. It's a good I've thing. I've had
4: people tell me that they don't listen as fast as I speak. So. Yeah. Um, that happens to me frequently
2: but you know it's it's natural though when you go into a place like say new york or or somewhere up in new england where they just the the rate of, of their speaking is much faster um and you can always tell when they're really busy because they're they're making it really fast and you all of a sudden start talking like that too i think because you're you just kind of get caught up in it and also you're thinking i'm going to try to take as little airtime tam- air as i can just to acknowledge whatever it was they told me to do uh but but that can be um you know that can be a um, uh what a, a counterproductive yeah mm. counterproductive or, a, so if or you're on the, spiraling if you're on the
4: circle pilot level. side of this perhaps think about what you're going to say first too before you key that mic so that you don't have like a be, just I. I assume
7: they on. give you a moment to think, yeah.
4: <laughs> you can still take a moment. Well, slow
2: is fast. unless you're at Chicago O'Hare, where they give a stream of instructions and they don't even break. In, they don't even give you an opportunity to to read them back. Oh. Yep, it's just like just a long string of instructions for several different airplanes. <laughs> And you just, just go, okay. acknowledge with an ident. I mean, you just like, okay, I guess they're assuming that I understood what they just said, and I'm going to do what I need to do. And they're going to yell at me when I'm if not they doing see it. You, if yeah. they see
4: you not doing it, you'll, they'll tell you again. Oh, probably. yeah, they will.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they will certainly do that. And All then right. give you a number. Good, you um,
5: we're in the turn.
2: Yeah, we're in the <laughs> okay. turn. Uh, I'm speaking most, mostly on the ground. It's just like, ah. you know, you just kind of go, okay, I know the general flow of traffic here. And if I do something that I wasn't supposed to do, then they're going to point that out or point that out to one of the other airplanes and they'll sort it out. So you see,
5: all these problems true. go away if you find the middle of the night.
2: Yeah, that's probably Fantastic. true. Of course, you can't see anything, but you don't need to, right?
5: Well, you know, it's, it's really funny. I remember one time we are taking off from, uh, may have been Chicago or JFK, or one of the two. It was a really busy airport. And I had the clearance controller, was also the ground controller, who was the tower controller. Uh, All in one, you know, so it was, uh, Mm -hmm. it was was great. It felt like a little airport.
2: Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, you know what time it is. It's that time of the show where we get to hear from the old pilot and his plane tales. And this week's episode is entitled terminal velocity. So take it away, old pilot.
7: The old pilot's plane tales. Terminal Velocity It takes about 12 seconds for the human body to reach terminal velocity. In that time, it will have travelled around 1,500 feet and be doing some 120 miles an hour. That's nearly 200 kilometres per hour. At that speed, a person will see the Earth's surface approach them at 177 feet, or 54 meters, every second. In pilot-speak, that's over 10,600 feet per minute. So in the short time that I've been speaking, they will have plummeted over 5,000 feet. Of course, the human body isn't a rigid object that will fall at a constant speed. If someone streamlines their falling posture, it's possible to exceed terminal velocity. Speed skydivers have reached upwards of 330 miles per hour, 530 kilometres per hour, considerably faster than the fastest bird of prey, the peregrine falcon, which can only reach 200 miles per hour. If you're not too worried about reaching the full value of terminal velocity, since your acceleration isn't a constant but follows an asymptotic curve in a mere three seconds you can cover 150 feet which will put you at 50% of your final speed. Even during a small fall you will accelerate very quickly and be travelling at quite a rate of knots when you reach terra firma. Falling is the second leading cause of accidental death worldwide and merely falling off your feet to the ground can be fatal. However, on average, 50% of people die if they fall from 48 feet, about 14.6 metres. Falls from more than 60 feet, 18.3 metres, are almost uniformly lethal. But don't worry too much, there are plenty of other ways to die before you get to falling, as it only accounts for 1.25% of all causes of death. Your chances of dying by falling depends a lot on variables such as how you land, head first is not recommended, and up to a point what you land on. Surfaces that will deform and absorb the energy of your fall are good, but some, like water, can only do so much, and if you're travelling at great speed, it literally can't get out of the way quickly enough. If you've died falling, it's most likely to have been from a head injury, damaging your brain, and if that doesn't get to you, then you'll probably go from internal bleeding, from organ damage or broken bones, particularly the pelvis. If you've survived the impact, it's important to get to hospital quickly before your injuries prove to be, if you'll excuse the pun, your downfall. If you've fallen from above 1,500 feet, it doesn't really matter whether you started at 1,500 or 15,000 feet. You're going to hit the ground at more or less the same speed. However, there is a certain cashier in being the person who fell the furthest and survived. Before we get on to the current Guinness World Record holder, who was presented her certificate by none other than Paul McCartney beetles, I note, can live through a fall from almost any height, let's take a look at others who have taken notable falls and lived to tell the tale. I've already talked about one remarkable young lady, Julianne Kupka, in my tale The Christmas Angels. Surviving a fall of around 10,000 feet following the disintegration of the Lockheed Electra she was flying in was only part of her story. Badly injured, it took 10 days for her to escape the dangers of the Amazon rainforest and reach help, all achieved at the age of only 17. Living through the initial fall was probably due to her being thrown from the aircraft, still secured to a row of three seats, which may have slowed her descent and given an element of cushioning and protection when she crashed through the canopy of trees. The thick foliage at her landing spot would also have helped to lessen the impact. Regardless, it's an incredible story of luck and tenacity, from an amazing teenager. March 1944 saw 21-year-old Royal Air Force gunner Sergeant Nicholas Stephen Alchomade aboard an Avro Lancaster, Mark II of Number 115 Squadron. Nicholas was the tail gunner of DS-664, which bore the markings Alpha 4 Kilo, part of an 811 aircraft bomber raid on Berlin. It was to be the last major RAF attack on the city during the war. The formation was made up from 577 Lancasters, 216 Halifax and 18 Mosquitoes. The night would be remembered by many because of a powerful and unforecast wind that blew in from the north, which caused many problems for the crews. The bomber stream became badly scattered, and the pathfinder force of mosquitoes, whose job it was to mark the targets, found their indicators were being carried well beyond the intended position to the southwest, and in some cases right out of the city. For Nicholas, the night would be memorable for another very personal reason. Their attack run at around 20,000 feet had gone well, with sky markers plus red and green ground markers in good positions to the east of the city. During the return flight, the wind was affecting navigation even more than before, and many aircraft strayed over flak batteries they'd normally have avoided, some even overflying the Ruhr defences. 50 of the 72 aircraft lost that night would be destroyed by flak. The remaining 22, including DS-664, fell victim to night fighters. As they headed homeward through the night, they drifted well south of their intended track. They were approaching the small town of Oberkirchen, But a great peril lay ahead, as they would soon find themselves in the heavily defended areas of Dortmund, Essen, Düsseldorf and Cologne, but a more immediate threat loomed. A Juncker's Ju-88 night fighter had found them. The front of the twin-engined fighter bristled with the mattress aerials of the Liechtenstein radar, but despite the extra drag, they closed on their target until the dark outline of the Lancaster appeared above. When the massive bomber grew large enough, they opened fire with 20mm cannons that ripped open the wings of the target, and fire blossomed out of the crippled bomber. The Lancaster was soon completely ablaze and as they began to go down, the pilot, Flight Sergeant Arthur Newman, called them on the intercom. Jump! There was no room in the small tail gunner's position for a parachute, so Nicholas crawled out to grab his from the stowage only to find that it had already been destroyed by the fire. He crouched in the narrow fuselage, with flames licking around his flying clothes as the Lancaster spiralled down, and he wondered what to do. I had no doubts at all that this was the end of the line, he said years later. The question was whether to stay in the plane and fry, or jump to my death. It only took him a moment to make up his mind. "'I decided to jump and make a quick, clean end of things. "'I backed out of the turret and somersaulted away.' "'Sergeant Alchimade jumped out at an estimated height of 18,000 feet, "'but mercifully he recalls little of his terrifying fall as he blacked out. "'When he came round he was lying in a snowdrift under a big fir tree "'which had mercifully cushioned his impact.' He gingerly tested his arms and legs, and to his amazement, he could move. The only injury he suffered was a sprained ankle. German troops were searching for survivors from the crashed aircraft, and Nicholas was soon captured and interrogated by the Gestapo, who were, perhaps understandably, suspicious of his claim to have survived the fall until the wreckage was examined along with the bodies of the three crew members who failed to escape the doomed aircraft, they found the charred remains of the tail gunner's parachute just where Nicholas said it would be, and they even gave him a letter testifying to the fact. Nicholas soon found himself in Stalag Luft III, a camp famous for its many ingenious escape attempts, two of which were immortalized in films the wooden horse and the great escape his miraculous survival made him something of a celebrity but he never escaped himself after the war he was repatriated to britain to rejoin pearl his sweetheart lieutenant colonel ivan chizov was another who survived a remarkable fall, but he was serving a different Air Force, the Soviet Air Force. He was a navigator in an Aleutian IL-4, tasked to bomb the German forces in 1942. Luftwaffe fighters attacked the formation of bombers, crippling Chisov's aircraft and he was forced to bail out from a height of around 23,000 feet, as observed by a fellow crewman, Nikolai Zugan, who abandoned the aircraft a little later. Ivan was concerned that, should he open his parachute too early, he would be a sitting duck for the German fighter pilots as he dangled under the canopy, so he planned to wait until he had dropped below the level of the fierce air battle that was going on around him. His plan, however, didn't quite go as he hoped when he lost consciousness during his long fall towards the earth. With his parachute unopened, he landed on the edge of a snowy ravine and then slid, rolled and ploughed his way to the bottom. Watching the air battle overhead was the cavalry commander, General Pavel Alexeyevich Belov, who saw Ivan's body fall into the ravine, and he promptly dispatched some cavalrymen to recover this brave dead aviator. However, when they reached the spot and dug Chizov out of the snow, they found him badly injured but alive, and still wearing his unopened parachute. He had suffered spinal injuries and a broken pelvis, but was operated on, and for a month his condition was considered critical. Despite this, Ivan made a full recovery, which he proved by taking to the air again only three months later. He wanted to continue flying combat missions, but was instead sent to become a navigator instructor. After the war, he graduated from the military political academy, and on his departure from the reserve, he became a propagandist for the central house of the Soviet Army. Snap, Crackle, Pop was a B-17 flying fortress of the 360th Bomb Squadron, which flew from RAF Molesworth in England during the Second World War. On board was one Alan McGee of Plainfield, New Jersey, whose job it was to man the ball turret mounted on the belly of the bomber. He was picked for this task because of his stature. He stood only 5 foot 6 inches in his socks. The 360th had been tasked, along with 84 other bombers, and including the Memphis Belle, to attack the U-boat submarine base at St. Nazaire. Over their target, the formation encountered heavy flak, and at least two squadrons of Luftwaffe fighters and a fierce air battle ensued.
6: We were hit by anti-aircraft guns, but what knocked us out of the sky was a Focke-Wulf FW-190 shooting our wing off,
7: McGee said.
6: The last thing I remember was that I was
5: at 20-some thousand feet trying to get out of a burning plane.
7: McGee had already been wounded when a shell hit his turret, which destroyed the turning mechanism, so he climbed out, only to discover that his parachute had also been struck, and now sported a large hole. As he made his way forward, the B-17 was struck again, with part of the right wing coming away and sending the big aircraft into a spin. He tried to get to the radio man's station so that they could bail out together, but without his oxygen supply, he fell unconscious before he could reach him. Tumbling down from over 22,000 feet, McGee was miraculously thrown free from the aircraft as it came apart, and he began a four mile journey towards the ground. He remembered the sensation of falling, and he thought to himself,
6: I don't wish to die because I know nothing of life.
7: When he came to, he was still alive, but caught up in the steel girders of the St. Nazaire railway station roof, whereupon he said,
6: I don't know how I got here, but here I am, thanks to God.
7: His fall had been broken by the glass roof of the station, which shattered under his impact, but he had not escaped without injury. He'd been hit twice before being thrown out of the B-17, but now had 28 shrapnel wounds, a punctured lung and kidney, his nose and one eye had been ripped open, his right arm was nearly severed from his body, he had a broken right leg and ankle and several damaged teeth. He was treated by a very capable doctor at the Hermitage Hotel in the town, who did a marvellous job of taking care of his many injuries, and he spent the rest of the war in a prisoner-of-war camp. The people of saint Nazaire didn't forget him, though, and fifty years later they erected a six-foot memorial to McGee and the crew of his bomber, a little taller than the man himself. The Guinness World Record for living through a fall without a parachute lies with a Serbian flight attendant, Vesna Polovic, although her remarkable feat of high-altitude survival has been called into question by conspiracy theorists. Some believe that the aircraft she was flying in was shot down at low altitude by a MiG of the Czechoslovak Air Force. However, Both Guinness and I am going with the original story, which has Vesna in a DC-9 of JAT, Yugoslav Airlines, at 33,000 feet. After a layover in Stockholm, the flight was staging its way back to Belgrade when a bomb planted in the baggage compartment tore through the aircraft, causing the airliner to break up over Czechoslovakia, now the Czech Republic on the 26th of January 1972. Vesna remembers nothing of the accident, but it's likely that she remained trapped in part of the fuselage which impacted a heavily wooded, snow-covered mountain which saved her from a violent deceleration. The attack on the flight was believed to have been carried out by Croatian nationalists, but no arrests were ever made. Vesna was amazingly lucky to live through the fall and her subsequent injuries. Indeed, she was the only one from the 28 crew and passengers who survived the ordeal. She was discovered by a villager who'd heard her screaming amid the wreckage. Her turquoise uniform was covered in blood and her long stiletto heels had been torn off by the force of the impact. Her rescuer had been a medic during World War II and he managed to keep Vesna alive until help arrived. She remained in a coma for 27 days and in hospital for 16 months. She was temporarily paralysed from the waist down but recovered despite suffering a skull fracture and haemorrhage, two broken legs, three broken vertebrae, one of which was crushed, a fractured pelvis and several broken ribs. Afterwards, she continued to work for the airline, but this time she stayed safely on the ground behind a desk. Behind a desk. Wow. Tough woman.
2: That last one.
5: And lucky. Very
4: lucky. Yeah.
2: You're muted, Nick. I'm always muted. There we go. Well, Damn. not always. Sorry. I've been around you and you're not very muted at all.
5: <laughs> <laughs> now that I enough. remember me, too. <laughs> right?
7: Yeah. But you're quite right, Jeff. Uh, a, a very tough lady. Um, uh, she still walks with a bad limp or walked with a bad limp. limp. Um, but, uh, you know, hell spells. 33,000 feet. That's quite a survival story. That just shows mm-hmm. you how tough that
2: DZ9 is. Wait a minute. It has nothing to do with the airplane, does it?
7: No. Well, maybe <laughs> maybe
4: a little bit, if she was still in the, the fuselage.
7: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. Well, they could only piece piece ah, that together. Yeah. And quite honestly, when you look at the accident report, it's all pretty, uh, you know. Uncertain. There's not a lot of detail there. Mm. Yeah. But uh, they, they think that she got uh, her feet caught into a galley cart and rode the airplane down. But uh, regardless, uh, incredible. Um, must- mm. But.
2: Sorry, yeah. I was gonna say, I must say that I agree with Lane and our live audience that you are really, really getting very good with those authentic-sounding
7: accents. I don't know. Oh yeah. Well, I, that that New Jersey one took me a while. Actually, <laughs> you did a lot good. of practice. Yeah, still. yeah. yeah. Oh. yeah exactly so, uh, <laughs> right. You had to you had to research the character.
5: Training. You know, just go down there. <laughs> Go down to Connie Island, you know, it's uh, <laughs> good stuff. I
7: like well, I, I've been around that way a few times, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, no, I seriously, I've got to thank Ivan, the wonderful Blake, who uh, helped out. Now Hillel um, recruited him and asked him if he would uh, uh, give us a little reading to cover those uh, few lines because uh, it, it, his accent is brilliant, it sounded so good, so. Mm-hmm. Thank you uh, both, and of course, thank to, to uh, Tim Qualls who we uh, got his feedback on the last show, mm-hmm. uh, and that was uh, his idea uh, to cover uh, Nicholas uh, uh, Alcady. And um, I, I, of course, sadly, that story wasn't big enough on its own to uh, yeah. fill a whole plain tale. So I could have done a four-minute one, or I could have uh, added a few more. Which, yeah, added a few more. Well, we could have really. I would really appreciate just a
2: four minute one. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I <laughs> thought you might have
7: not I can't empty my bladder quickly enough nowadays. You seem to be, be you seem to do
2: that just fine when I'm doing the coffee fund. <laughs> I'm just saying.
7: Yeah. Well, you think I'm going for a beer? I'm just grabbing a beer. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs>
2: No, we look forward um not only to the break that we we get but you know what if, if i haven't listened to the plain tale before the show I, I i try to do that so that i don't feel like i'm missing anything but if i have to get up as i did uh for a physiological break i'm always thinking darn it i'm missing some of the tale uh, but because i have to do all the post editing i usually end up listening to it at least once or twice through so
7: well um, that's great I'm, I'm i really appreciate it
2: Thanks. yeah i mean you did such a great job with those things. Just amazing. And thank you, Tim Qualls, for uh, the great suggestion and got the whole ball rolling on this one. Absolutely. Okay.
6: Just about 40 minutes left,
2: Jeff. All right. Liz tells us we have about 40 minutes left, so we better get on with it so we can get as much of this uh, feedback accomplished as possible. And uh, let's start uh, where we left off on uh, eight. Christian. Uh, he says, Hi, APG team. Um, I've been quiet of late as I've fallen behind in listening to episodes since I've been working from home and not commuting every day. I'm still listening to episode 443, released on September 19th, and it's March 1st today, so I'm almost six months behind. However, I came across this story and given Nick's sadness at the shuttering of Flybe last year, I thought the community might be interested in the fate of 11 of their 79 Q400s. They're going to be converted to Q400AT air tankers for Conair aerial firefighting back in their homeland of Canada. Here's an article from Flight Global about that transaction. And then he gives us a link to that. And, of course, he probably hasn't heard yet the episode where we did actually talk about this. Um, so thank you, uh, Christian, for sending us the article. And uh, let's see. He continues. Hope you're all well. I wouldn't know thanks to my space Time aberration, except for the recent Facebook posts advising of the postponement of recording of episode four sixty two, which now appears to have taken place. Sigh, another episode to add to my backlog. Nevertheless, I'm glad Jeff is back on his feet, or arse in this case, and not on his back. q that's what she said. Oh, okay, I didn't. Cue that's what she said. I'm not doing very well with the uh, with the cues here on the show. See if I can find it. Um, yeah, that is what pr- she said. <laughs> That's
1: what she said. That's
7: what you don't want to hear her <laughs> say, Rick. A producer can only do so much, you know. I know.
2: I should probably give Liz the soundboard duties.
7: <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. No, that
2: would be, a, no, that would be a bad idea. Never mind. No. <laughs> there would be a lot of sound <laughs> clothes oh, being that would played. Not be good. Oh, yeah.
7: I like the idea of that. <laughs> it will
2: definitely will not give that uh, ability to Nick. I know that would be a huge mistake. Don't do that. I know. (laughs) Okay. Um, He continues. This too will be dated, but I loved hearing Liz's voice and commentary in the episodes. However, in the recent ones I've listened to, that seems to have stopped. I can only hope the sarcastic comments will come, will be coming back. The world needs more Canada. Be well, all Christian base in Richmond Hill, Ontario. Liz can help with that. Um, so you know um christian a lot of people agree with you they like hearing liz's commentary and everything else but it's kind of gone to her head honestly and she's gotten to the point where it's just like nonstop commentary and if i included her commentary in every show i mean that's all you'd hear basically is her for hours and for hours and she tends to have uh, let her um the the sensor, self-censoring mechanism uh, has, has, has failed her. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's kind of a mess, actually. So sadly, we can't really help. No, I'm 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 trying to kind of find the right balance of uh, Liz's commentary in the background and such. So um, I think that uh, you're with most people who have given us feedback on that, that they definitely want to hear more Liz and less it of us. It seems like
4: people fall into to two camps. Yeah. More Liz. Or they think you've just made a mistake and forgotten to take yeah. Liz out
2: the whole time. Honestly, it's one or the other. That's it's that's what a that's, mistake. That's kind of the decision-making process for me. Is like I, I get so tired of explaining why. Yes, I know. I know that uh, you hear Liz, but the other host can't. And uh, it just I, I finally got to the point where ah, screw it. <laughs> I'm just not gonna not gonna put it in there anymore. But uh, anyway, so it. It's an ongoing, it's an evolving, it's an uh, organic uh, evolution, uh, as they say. So we'll see what happens. But uh, it's a Liz dynamic environment. It's not going anywhere for sure. She says, yes, it's a dynamic environment.
6: Yeah, I'm not going anywhere. She said, I'm sure. not
2: going anywhere. She's taken over. <laughs> oh, Liz, I can't say that. No. Mm-mm. I'm just kidding. She didn't say
6: anything.
2: Moving on. Moving on. She did say that. <laughs> Um, uh-huh. moving on to uh, nine. This is uh feedback from Greg, our big ass fan. By the way, Greg, I don't know if, if you saw that I was drinking from uh this very nice pint glass, which is now empty. I need to put more beer in it. Um, a nice uh big ass fan.
7: Well, are you suggesting he comes down and fills it up for you. I am suggesting
2: that. <laughs> anyway, hope everyone is doing well. Just finished listening to episode four sixty-two. And had a little feedback to go with Captain Nick's Plain Tail for this week. In 2012, Big Ass Fans, the company for which he works, introduced a new option on one of our commercial fans: wood grain airfoils. The airfoils were wrapped in very thin pieces of real wood. This was a very costly and labor and this was very costly and labor intensive to produce. We found a less costly and much less labor intensive process that produced a wood grain look that was very realistic. In February of 2013, I visited the supplier that would be producing these airfoils for us. The guy who owned the company had a very extensive car, truck, and antique tractor collection and gave us a tour while we were visiting. One of the cars in his collection was an original Rickenbacker. I can't for the life of me remember the model or the year, but he told us that it was the only one of its kind and was worth about a million dollars. I have not been able to confirm that, and I can't find any references to it on the interwebs. I do remember that the guy who owned it didn't really share much about it because of its apparent uniqueness and value. I was going to reach out to him and ask him to refresh my failing memory, but the company has gone out of business, and I fear the owner might have passed away. He was pretty advanced in years and in somewhat poor health back in 2013. I've included a picture of the car. I thought I'd taken more, but I can't seem to find them now. Uh, I see that Liz has put that on the uh, on the overlay there. Thank you, Liz. Um, if uh, any of your intrepid listeners might be able to help clarify the exact identity of this car, so if you're, I'll put this in the show notes as well, if you're not watching the video. Okay. Blue skies, favorable, favorable winds. G'day. Your big-ass fan, Greg Peterson. It's a good-looking car. It's a beautiful car. car. Yeah.
4: Don't know anything about it, but
3: it's yeah. gorgeous.
7: Well, I seem to recall from my research that the company didn't stay uh, alive for that long. It was only a few years. Mm. So they wouldn't have produced that many models. Um, they aimed at the middle of the market, so they were sort of average price, but they did produce some luxury mm-hmm. models. And I, that definitely looks like one of them. their luxury models. Sure but, it does. Uh, yeah, Exactly mm-hmm. which one, I wouldn't have a clue, sorry.
5: No, 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 no but it looks like a million dollars to me. Look, oh, at
7: yeah, absolutely. look at those wheels! Just look sweet. All those little yeah. spokes mm. in
2: the wheels, it's
7: gorgeous, is so nice.
3: Mm-hmm.
7: Very cool. I'm trying to it's look crazy. at the lights. It looks like they're so, sort of encased. lamps yeah. at the front. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what that is. If it like, do they tilt
2: like 90 degrees, and mm-hmm. then you kind of open I think up? They a hatch? might be I think it's just so it's open like, up or
7: something.
4: I don't. Know, it almost just looks like the light is below or in the lower part of the.
7: Front oh, I the, think you're right. Yeah, and it just kind of focuses it. There's right. glass in mm-hmm. the front bottom oh, okay. two thirds. Yeah. Uh, yep. So the rest yep. of it would be I don't know what they'd be using in those days. Uh, probably electric light bulbs. Glass. I would have yeah. thought. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure.
5: Mm-hmm. Very Art Deco y. Like yeah. It.
2: Boy, it would be nice oh, to have absolutely. a
7: car like that, wouldn't it?
2: Very nice. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Greg. We do appreciate that. Well, it'd and... be
7: nice to have a million dollars, but yeah, we're not going to have either. Whatever. It's just money. <laughs> All
2: right. Moving on with Matt. Uh, he says, hello, ABG crew. I'm a new listener to the podcast, and this is my first time giving feedback. Sorry in advance for, my, for any grammar mistakes. I'm a former helicopter instructor pilot. Oh, there you go. Probably going to be a well, lot I of mistakes of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But was in a pretty serious accident a few years ago in which I lost my medical and have been working to get back into the air someday. The show has been very helpful with keeping my passion for flying going and working hard through the complex medical process I've been going through. It was cool finding out that Rick was flying Prime Air jets on one of the episodes because while I was instructing at Allentown, uh, Alpha Bravo Echo, I had a side job for bad weather and maintenance days working on the line, which was in charge of fueling the Prime Air 767-200 and 300s. My coworkers were definitely not fans of the 200s. Because some made you hold a button down. I think they called it a reset button on the fuel panel the whole time you were fueling. I was wondering if Rick might know what that button was and what caused that.
5: No, uh, I have no idea. I'm not okay. familiar with the dash uh, 200. Uh, it was pound. just
7: those horrible buddy uh, Boeing pilots. Boeing captains Making <laughs> you do something you gotta hold that. completely unnecessary. <laughs> you got to hold that. For a joke. Yeah.
5: I wonder if it was a because uh, I know I know if uh, I've never fueled jetliners before, but I wonder uh, um, if it's some kind of deadman switch that um, uh, shuts off the uh, the fuel um, if you let mm. go of it for safety reasons. Uh, but that, I mean, I don't know.
2: That is usually like on a uh, I used to fuel oh, airliners 727s and DC nines, and uh, usually had like a, a handle that you'd hold like a spring. Uh, yeah it was ah. like, you worked against the spring and you held it in the hand. it was um the dead man Good. switch or whatever yeah, um uh, but now idea. I've never had to hold a button on the actual airplane itself Probably hmm. did you did you look around and where did you see like the pilots kind of like hiding behind the landing gear and like with cameras <laughs> Snickering. <laughs>
7: <laughs> I was Knee
2: He's digger, actually pushing the fire. button. <laughs> Joe, come over here.
7: Look at this. <laughs> he get fell this for out. it. Come on. Get the camera. Get the camera. <laughs> <laughs>
2: anyway, he continues. Uh, another thing I found interesting while I worked there was that, was that of the four morning flights. The fuel the flights requested seemed backwards. The flight going to Dayton, Ohio, would always request more fuel, a top off of both wings, if I re- am remembering correctly. Then the flight going to LA and I was always curious why that was my best guess was that they didn't want to get fuel in Dayton because it was more expensive or something like that. I was unsure if airlines or cargo carriers plan for flights to not get refueled at some stops due to fuel prices or other possible issues and wanted to see if you guys could help me figure out why these flights required such odd fuel numbers or fuel loads. Um, love the show. Hope you guys stay safe out there. And, uh, he also says, uh, "If you guys ever get any helicopter-related feedback and are unsure of how to answer it, I'd be happy to help." Well, Matt, what we normally do whenever we get feedback about he- helicopter-related stuff, we usually just throw it away. No, I'm just kidding. We don't do that. <laughs>
4: it's the only sensible thing. <laughs> the
2: only sensible thing. <laughs> but uh, regarding that last uh, thing about the different fuel weights and stuff, uh, Rick, can can you enlighten us on that?
5: Yeah, I was I was I was going to mention that. So um so. Uh, this oftentimes you'll take more fuel than you need um, for a specific uh, uh, leg or sector, and then you keep in mind obviously um, you know, your 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 max landing weight at your destination, your 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 um, uh, your traffic load, or the amount of uh, cargo or passengers that you're going to be carrying with, you and all that. And the reason why we'll do that sometimes is because um, the cost of the fuel uh, at your Intermediate, uh, intermediate stop might be higher, more expensive than it is uh, where you're, you know, taken off from, and so that's called tankering. Uh, so you'll you, you'll you'll buy the fuel, or, you, or you'll tanker the fuel required to get you, you know, to your final destination instead of having to refuel uh, somewhere else, and that might be, it might be because of cost. It also might be because of fuel availability. It might be because of uh, of, uh short uh, turnaround time. So there's, there's, there's many factors, but uh, that's, that's oftentimes why we do that.
2: Makes sense. Yeah. Probably has a lot to do with fuel cost. I would imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. There we go. Well, always great to have a new member of our APG community, Matt, and uh, we're happier here and, no, if you have any helicopter related stuff that you want us to talk about, then uh, just shoot, shoot it our way. Feedback at com. And you're not the only one out there, by the way, that we, over the years, we've had several people that kind of complain that we don't talk about helicopters enough, but we just don't know anything about them. Really. We just try to stay away from them if we can.
4: Not our area of expertise. New. Someone needs to start a helicopter-specific podcast.
2: Nick Nick is That's really funny. a big fan of helicopters, though. I have to tell you that. <laughs> he's, he, you're still. It's probably a good thing <laughs> that, that we were muted because he's going to probably say something very offensive.
7: Yeah, no, I was just saying how much <laughs> I love the idea of flying helicopters. You sound like the
2: uh, was it Audrey Hepburn in um, on Golden Pond?
7: No, Catherine. Catherine Hepburn. It's Catherine Hepburn. I'm sorry. Not oh, they all sound like women. <laughs> but, but you don't. Yeah. You got you to. Uh, uh, we got a report at the uh, 405. <laughs> no, I can't do it. <laughs> I don't know how they keep that, that silly accent up for so long. That silly I don't know.
2: They probably have some kind of electronic box that they talk into and it just automatically makes it sound like that. Yeah. They're yeah probably I, sitting, I would if I was a helicopter pilot. That's for sure. are sitting on the ground somewhere in a lazy boy. <laughs> work smart not hard (laughs) that's right okay um brad writes in um wanted to give some feedback to the 17 year old i think his name was aj in episode 463 that was asking for advice regarding finishing out his electrical trade school first then going on to pilot training Something that he could look at when the time comes to pursue flight training and then the airline jobs would be to research regional airlines that have an active flow through program with the majors. I have a former coworker that that was hired by PSA Airlines as a first officer straight out of training once he reached 1500 hours and stayed with them all the way through his captain's upgrade. Once he had enough flying time under his belt as a captain, he became a check airman for the company. After seven years of being employed with PSA from start to finish, he was able to flow through to American Mainline and now operates as a first officer on the 737. Long story short, he did all this with no college degree. The seven-year timeline for his employment was just his own timeline that he chose to stay with PSA as he enjoyed his job there and really wasn't in a huge hurry to leave. I do know of others who have flowed through to Mainline a little quicker. Please keep in mind, these programs were in place pre-COVID, so I'm not sure if they've temporarily suspended this or not. It's definitely a great option if you simply want to be be laser-focused on just flying, but also have a great career. Quick side note, this same individual mentioned above is now working on his degree via online schooling while he's working. He achieved his goal of becoming a mainline pilot, and now has the time to complete that as well. I hope this small bit of info is helpful to this young man and offers him an additional option. Thank you all and take care, Brad. We think? Steph? There you go. Good advice.
4: Good information. Yeah. Because none of us have done that specifically. So it's hard for us to, unless we kn- could think of someone personally that we knew who had that experience, which I don't think any of us did. So it's nice to know that that does happen. Yeah. An answer to the question about needing a four year degree or not. And it sounds like he's, Moving forward with it, anyway. At this point, so good.
2: I think, yeah, good on you, man. Good I think, deal. I think there were some programs like that with Acme. Um, I think that I don't know if they're going on anymore. Endeavor, I don't know. yeah, Endeavor and um, oh, Compass and uh, some others. And
5: yeah, I don't back know, in the day, it was uh, wasn't it? Uh, wasn't it Comair? Wasn't it
2: Comair? Pinnacle Compass, yeah, Endeavor. And I, I'm uh, talking they're early all two thousand, a little bit different programs and requirements and and uh, some guaranteed you uh, an interview and some gave you the opportunity for you know some of them were more sure Mm -hmm. thing than others but I would imagine the ones that were really super sure thing uh, maybe they didn't require um, the college degree I'm not sure because I never you know I've flown with some of these people
4: I don't know what the like if it's a qualified thing like it's guaranteed flow through but you must have your for your degree if you don't, right. then uh, I don't know, but I know, so they were talking specifically about, you know, the American Airlines one. So that's, mm-hmm. um, the wholly owned subsidiaries have that flow through. So PSA, Envoy and, um, Republic. Nope. nope, nope um, Piedmont, sorry.
2: Oh, Piedmont. Uh, okay, yeah, gotcha.
4: Um, have that flow through agreement.
2: I would imagine if, if it's like one of those solid flow throughs that maybe, you know, the, the college degree is just not a not a requirement.
4: It it may not be a requirement because you're a known commodity at that point. You've Mm had, you know, several years under your belt flying for the regional and they need you as a pilot.
2: And from here on, you know, when things start recovering again, I'm not sure, you know, what, what these things will look like, but uh, that's some, some good advice uh, and good um, anecdotal um, experience slash evidence. Brad, thank you. Do appreciate that. Um, Henry. Uh, Wrote in and he said, "Hello, Captain Jeff and team. I saw this one tonight, and it looks like a resolution advisory. I'm I imagine that's one of those computer avoidance notifications. From the video, it's hard to tell for a layperson what the hazard was, but I thought maybe you guys can discuss it. I'm I am Longmeadow Henri, the same guy who wrote to you about Reno 911. Oh yeah, and you're." Talking about the fact that I remind you yeah. of Sergeant. your voice reminded him. Of What's his name?
4: Yeah, the, guy ah, in the I short short the guy's name.
2: Yeah, the, guy, the, the, guy the short short guy. It's been so long <laughs>
4: since I've watched. Yeah, the, the short shorts <laughs> guy. Yeah. It's been so long Thanks. since I've watched that.
2: <laughs> I do like that character, though. I do. Uh, it's one of the funniest ones. Anyway, uh, I've also included an additional picture of a Coletta flight that came to Bradley this week, Lovely, lovingly referred to as Air Horse One. Why don't we show that overlay, um, Liz? Got why don't I? Get the yeah, sir. um get the um video. There's air horse one tech Sutton. That's a beautiful seven twenty-seven November seven twenty-five Charlie Kilo. Very nice. Uh so the um the thing he was telling us about the uh, the video, uh and the uh, TCAS resolution advisory. Um opening. Jeff, right it's Lieutenant
6: yep. Jim, isn't it? Lieutenant Jim.
2: Lieutenant Jim. Lieutenant Gem is the I don't know. The character. Uh, the Reno character in uh Reno 911. I just don't think remember. So. Yeah. I think so. Okay. Well, here we go. I'm going to uh, open up the video and it's probably going to start playing. Oh. Let's uh stop for a moment and then if you can remove that overlay um and then okay, now here is the video from Bass Aviation real aviation communications. Be advised, only MSP arrivals have been imported into this thing. Okay. So it shows a radar 36, screen. 3645, radius speed to 170. Traffic's being vectored Delta 2088, the airport 12 o'clock and one two miles. Parallel we approaches. have the airport
7: type Delta
2: 2088. Delta 2088,
3: join the final at echo, clear visual approach, turn at 30 right, present speed.
6: Can final, Jack, go visual the Falcon to maintain
3: 5,000, 5, then reduce speed to 170. I maintain 5,000, then reduce to 170, Delta 1073, reduce speed to 160, until Narco. 1073, just responding to a RA. Delta 1073, Roger. Delta 1073, clear conflict, uh, we we'll take a heading out here. Delta 1073, did you want to continue on the approach, you want to be re Negative, we're done. Delta 1073, you're on your climb and maintain 5,000, turn left heading 180, cancel your approach. All right, left turn to 180, heading 5,000, Delta 1073. Tower, Delta 2164, ILS 30, right. Delta 2164, Minneapolis, our traffic 3 miles, final CRJ, win 290 at 1-6-2-8, runway three zero 0 right Goodland.
7: Goodland, Delta 2164. November
3: 2, Sierra Tango, turn left, heading 320, airport 10 o'clock, 28 miles. Left well, heading 320, looking November Two, 3, 2, 3. 2, Sierra Tango, intercept the runway three zero left, localizer. Intercept the localizer, future 3, tango 3. Delta
6: 1073, maintain one 9 or 0 not.
0: Alright, 190 knots for 1073, we're on 180 heading 5,000 feet.
6: Thank you.
7: Airport side, 2-0
6: Tango. 7-0 Tango, thank you. Cleared visual for at turnway 30 left. Maintain 170 on
3: off. Until narco. 170 Narco, clear visual, 3-0 left.
2: And then it says... Uh Delta 1073 was resequenced for another approach and landed safely. And now what we're looking at. If you'll look at the show notes, the link to this vast uh, aviation video on YouTube, or you're watching the video, uh, you'll see the depiction of, uh, parallel approaches, uh, three zero left and three zero right at Minneapolis, St. Paul airport and the, uh, airplane or the flight 10 Delta 1073 was, um, on the parallel approach and apparently it's uh TCAS computer and they normally don't do this they usually are desensitized when you're coming in for parallel approaches Yeah, so,
5: it, so well yeah and, and it's it's different well how how high was that uh, delta again I'm sorry
2: uh, When that that very right happened I don't remember exactly what his altitude was Um like yeah, back
4: be- up to 5000 so he was
2: it was below five uh, thousand. Yeah, because at a
5: certain point, uh, uh, resolution advisories are uh, inhibited. Uh, mm-hmm. At a certain point on the approach, uh, at a certain out, I can't. Remember. I think it's uh, fifteen hundred feet in radio altitude. The uh, the RA's uh, basically go away. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, two things there. One, um. It's happened to me when you get a resolution advisory. Basically, well, the way the system works is you have um, uh, a piece of equipment on the airplane called a transponder, which basically talks to other airplanes' transponders, and they coordinate. Um, so, if if the one airplane um, intrudes upon the other airplane's protected zone, it's called, then the two transponders start to figure out a way to uh, deconflict the situation. Uh, you know, giving an airplane a climb command and another airplane a descent command. Uh, and that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, you, you, at that point, you stop listening to ATC and you respond to what your, uh, uh traffic collision avoidance system is telling you. And the way this works is depending on the system, there's going to be some kind of cockpit indication, uh, whether, uh, either on your, uh, attitude indicator or on your, uh, vertical speed indicator, uh, showing you a fly to zone and, uh, and, and green basically. Uh, but the problem with that is that, um. There's paperwork involved afterwards. Uh, you have to uh, 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 file a report with um, uh, uh, sometimes uh, the company. Then you have to file an ASAP report, then a NASA report, and all sorts of things. Um, so obviously not optimum, but that's what the system's there for. It's for safety. And then the other thing is um, I found it interesting how the controller lady <laughs> – uh, was giving uh, cues to that other airplane about the, where the aer- uh, airport is and, and the distance, uh, obviously wanting him to take the visual approach. The problem with taking a visual approach is that once you accept that, uh, separation and sequencing, is, it's up to you. And in such a heavy traffic airport, and at that time of day, I, I, I would have just stayed on the ILS. And the other thing is that with, with, the, with the visual approach, your missed approach procedure changes completely. So once you accept the visual approach, you're no longer, if you go missed, you're no longer flying the published missed off of the instrument approach procedure because you're not an instrument approach anymore. You're flying a visual approach. At that point, uh, your uh, missed approach procedure is runway heading and 1,500 feet above the a- uh, the airport. And uh, I've seen times when, I guess people forget this, and they uh, go missed off of the visual, and all of a sudden they start going <laughs> missed on the published miss, and then ATC starts going, oh, "Well, where are you going?" Yeah, so it opens you up for uh, you know a bunch of things where you know if you didn't accept the visual, you'd kind of be more protected, which is what I would tend to gravitate towards uh, in this particular situation. But that's, that's just me. Steph, uh, I, I'm oh.
7: a little bit unsure as to what the traffic was that caused his. It was RA. a parallel. Uh, it was uh, the B&M.
4: 2164. It was yeah. So those the, runways B&M. are half a mile apart at yeah. least. Yeah, I yeah just pulled it up to look at it. They're not super close. Super close.
2: No. Mm-hmm.
7: Um, yeah. yeah there's, there's, parallel approaches. The other aircraft have not got a, an RA. Um, I guess it's possible, but it's. I unless think unless that it was if one gets it, by by the
2: other one should too. Uh, yeah, exactly.
5: That's, yeah. If if one gets one, then the other one is supposed it. to get another
2: one as well, because that's how you yeah. deconflict. So you um,
4: wonder if it was just something wonky with that particular...
2: Could be. ...to work really well. You no, know, in the older and, days, um, you know, probably before, you know, Steph and Rick were born. Old um, days. The... Um, no, I don't think they had TCAS back then. Um, but uh, the uh, in, initial versions <laughs> the, of the, the software... The middle
4: Ages. <laughs> the, the,
2: yeah. Yeah. You know, the right before the turn of the century. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so they in the earlier software versions, um, when you were doing close parallel approaches, uh, it, it one of the procedures for us was to actually go from TA slash RA to just TA. So you still get no, the information. It's
5: still right. It still is. It still okay. is. Well, so, but 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 some of the airplanes, just,
2: the airplane I fly, just does automatically. Um, yeah. It, it, the the newer no, even software. Even when I
7: was still. Yeah. Flying this job years ago, where we had software that would automatically do uh, the right thing on right. a parallel approach. Yeah, yeah. Um, the
2: <laughs> the um, and, and that's not funny, Lane. <laughs> really, it's not. That
3: was good. That was good. Um, you know, really I was good.
2: just talking to my a, a, a fellow pilot the other day. I said, you know, when I was hired back 32 years ago, the airline that everybody made fun of was American Airlines with their talk about light chop and asking for ride reports and everything else. And somehow it's shifted to another airline over the years. And then we thought, you know what? It's probably whoever has the best contract and making the most money out there. That's Success. the one that's going to they're, be the target. Jealous. Yeah. They're jealous. There
4: was, <laughs> there was a, a meme going around the other week, which a lot of 10 minutes left probably Jay. saw, but it said something to the effect of, on a scale from uh Delta to FedEx. How's the ride?
7: <laughs> yeah. Right. I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. That was very funny. And yeah, as absolutely. I have mentioned
2: before um, in recent shows in the last couple of years, we have an, an amazing piece of software that we don't really even have to ask about ride reports anymore. The only time that we give, we the only time we should be giving them is when somebody asks us for it because this piece of software on my iPad, my EFB, is amazingly accurate. I mean, you can look at it in the different colors and the different altitudes and you can tell exactly, you say, oh, it looks like we're about to come up on a darker green area and all of a sudden the airplane starts shaking. You go, dang, that was like right on cue. Um, so maybe
6: that's only at Acme, not a, Delta.
2: Yeah. Oh, uh, Liz says, maybe that's only Acme, not Delta. That's true. Good point. They may, may not have the advanced yeah, system that we have. Got much
7: better kit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ac- yeah I
4: think so. Acme and Delta are, I mean, similar, but not Similar, the same. but not the same. Yeah. Very clear.
5: Anyway, but um, I tell you what, I mean we we all we all kind of chuckle every time every time we <laughs> we hear like, we hear on the radio, you know, light chop. Everybody
7: does. Every, every time, time I hear, her, I go, just
2: like, funny. shut up, don't say it, don't say it,
7: because <laughs> yeah, it's just <laughs> going to make it themselves. worse. I know. They can't if help it's, light, it's just what like- does it matter? that's <laughs> just like the. Um, I'm with Rick, um, by the way. Just going back to this particular mm-hmm. incident rather than uh, anything else. Um, if you're going to fly a parallel approach and you you want protections, then uh, ask for a uh, instrument approach. Don't accept a visual. Yeah. So uh, that's this is one circumstance mm-hmm. where I think it would be a good idea. I guess, and I'm in minority, very
2: in two against one.
7: Yeah, okay, but I would be very very cautious. Uh, certainly, with in the teachings in our uh, my old airline about um, ignoring uh, an RA. Thinking, oh well, I know exactly where everyone is. This is going to be false mm-hmm. one, just in case there's an intruder that you hadn't really taken on board that had crept underneath you. Uh, because uh, it, you know, it takes you a while to assess what's going on. Get your essay going, and an RA really is. Uh, this is a last ditch. You're gonna hit the bloody guy if you don't do something quick, mate. You haven't really got time to assess the situation, so. Mm-hmm quite right in doing what the, the chap did was to follow his RA instructions, his Although, advisor instructions.
2: I, my question is why did he initiate a turn? Because the present evolution of TCAS does not provide any yeah. turn guidance. It's, no, all quite right. it's
7: all predicated on a vertical uh, maneuver. Yeah. Right. And he uh, starts uh, making a turn on his own. 180. You know? It, yeah. Good. Very good point. But, uh, Perhaps he realized he was drifting towards the other lane. I don't know. Mm. The other ILS decided to straighten his course or something. But no, you're quite right. A turn is inappropriate because you might need that performance in the vertical sense. And if you've put bank on, you're not necessarily going to get it.
2: Yeah.
4: Mm. That's interesting.
2: Pip has just joined us. Yeah. Yeah. Pip uh, from the Plane Safety Podcast. Speak of the devil
4: and speak of the topic we were just speaking of.
2: Yeah. Well, why don't you read that uh, stuff
4: says just got home from a six day unusual sort or usual sorts of places. Nothing too exciting. Did get a TCAS RA today whilst on the ILS. That's the first
2: Hmm. for him anyway. Yeah, you don't. It is kind of uncommon to get. That's not where you'd normally get RAs. It's more usually for like departures and arrivals and airplanes like climbing rapidly and descending rapidly. and In the lower altitude Um, environments. Yeah.
4: But that's essentially what we were just talking about, Pip, in case mm-hmm. you missed it.
7: But having said that, America is one of the places where we were always very cautious of them because of the number of light aircraft corridors that go mm-hmm. underneath ILS oh, uh, right. approaches. I can,
5: I can tell you next year out here in Southern California, yeah, I, it is it is just a given that you're going to have some kind of issue. That's why um, when – and usually what they'll do is they'll, they'll level you off, you know, Pretty low. I'm talking three, four thousand feet. And these things, when you fly them, um, not a, not a full weight, as you as you well know, they climb like a rocket. And so yeah. uh, another another issue with 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 resolution advisories, is, as Jeff was mentioning, is is climb rate and closure rate. And so if if you're not proactive with your vertical mode, uh, you can find yourself in a position where you might have to respond to an RA. Because you put yourself there because you didn't anticipate uh, the, the aircraft performance. And he caught somebody so, else um,
2: perfectly innocent that, people <laughs> coming in <laughs> on an arrival at a level altitude. And all of a sudden, now they're getting an yeah. RA too. Thank yeah. you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
5: Thank you for adjusting yeah, so. your climb
2: rate, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was something yeah, so. that we had you know, during the pandemic. Um, the initial, when we were carrying like four or five passengers, it was something I briefed. It was like, look. You know, we have to really be cognizant of the fact, yeah, you have to really (laughs) did
4: the full brief for everyone. No, 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 not briefing the
2: passengers, briefing my fellow (laughs) fellow pilot (laughs) that, hey, let's, you know, really think about the fact that, yeah, I know normally we would be flying in this mode, but let's think about maybe going into vertical speed and going to like thousand feet per minute or something as we're getting close to level off. So we don't cause all these RAs, although, I mean, they were becoming very, very common, these RAs. Basically, right. uh, the
5: problem there is that you start using vertical speed, you can you can get into a position where you could very easily overspeed the flaps. So it's it's just you mm-hmm. have to be on top of your game yeah. right away. Well, otherwise it's, it's, yeah, like, and I guess it depends on the airplane.
2: You know, if it's uh, like yeah. vertical speed in, in the yeah. airplane I'm flying sure, now sure. is the auto throttle system is just very Responsive, you know they'll it'll mm. it'll it won't get you, you know, over speed stuff yeah. and everything. So.
7: Basically, you were saying you need to be ahead of the aircraft. Yeah, there's no oh, yeah. time to Big sit time. back on your haunches you, and think, "Oh, this is another old ILS." Mm-hmm. Might be the sixth of your day, uh, but uh, no, you've got to be ahead of the aircraft and thinking all the time because these things can creep up uh, yep. on you oh, yeah. when you're not ready for it. So
2: true, so true. All right, finally, we're going to end with this one. This is a uh, feedback from Maggie. It says, uh, well, I actually, did Ivor send it in for Maggie? He said, it's not me. I don't, I don't know. Let's see. Uh, let's, let's go. I think it's from Maggie, the cat. Dear airline pilots and doctors at large, just a note from Maggie or Ivor's cat, as Nick refers to me. I heard you read out the news item about the over-enthusiastic cat that got into the cockpit of an aircraft and scared the slightly delicate aircrew into diverting. Well, better safe than sorry, and in all seriousness, it could have been quite a dangerous situation. I mean, the cat might have missed a meal, or worse, a nap. But I must claim innocence on this situation. Paw on my heart, I was nowhere near any aircraft on that fateful day. I'm a bit of a home-loving cat. But on the other hand, my son and favorite cat of the delightful Mrs. Ivor, namely Smudge, he is, if I say so myself, a bit of a wrong out all night, most nights, not really a people person. This last fact might go against him. So if the appropriate authorities need his details, I will provide them. But I won't provide them unless asked, as that would be, as we say in the UK, dobbing him in. And we don't do that. So, mum's the word for now. To sum up the situation, I think you chaps should keep this under your rather natty pilot's hats. The less said, the better. Relying on your discretion, Maggie.
5: Maggie, I make no promises. I don't wear hats with my uniform. So, no uh, natty hats?
2: No. Uh,
7: I-, I used to. It was made out of cat fur. <laughs> 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 and it had a tail. Oh. To, to hang down the back, little tail hanging <laughs> the back. Poor there.
2: Maggie. She's just trying to be nice and helpful.
7: I don't think it was Maggie's fur. Oh, okay. I know, but I you're being were some very them, disrespectful to Maggie. maggie right? It yeah. was uh, moggy mogifa not maggie <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right.
4: Or any similarities, purely coincidental, right?
5: That's right.
7: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if I should say, Maggie, this book I've got, 101 de- uses for a dead cat.
2: Mm, that would be very insensitive. Very. Very. I'm sure
4: insensitive. she's got a birthday or something coming up.
7: <laughs> yeah, that would be an appropriate
2: time. Well,
5: you know, the other thing that she wouldn't have to worry about about it for the first eight times. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so
7: yeah, that's true. Uh, exactly. Right.
2: Yeah. All right. I think i about had it with all this. Um, <laughs> I'm I, ejecting. It he's, is he's time. It with us,
4: I think is what he was saying.
2: This is now time for us to wrap up the show. So officially this is wrap up. Uh, we have several items in our feedback that we didn't get to. And, uh, you know, the story, we'll move that over to the next show. And, uh, if you are new to the show and and you've stuck with us for almost three hours here, I mean, God bless you. Uh, thank you for doing that. And uh, I hope you find it interesting and entertaining and maybe somewhat informative, 50%. You know, that's what we're shooting for here. Um, and if you want to learn more about the show and listen to more podcasts and get more detailed information on the plane tales, um, if you're a reader and you want to read some good books that are mostly aviation related, we also have the uh APG library um our APG librarian Tiffany takes care of managing that for us also have merchandise and we have information calendar. about the crew and the calendar yeah the APG community calendar we're hoping that coffee fund. as time goes on we have more and more things on that APG community calendar like meetups and that sort of thing um coffee fund information and and much more so again head over to airlinepilotguide.com and uh, you'll be glad you did maybe Um, We're also on social media, or what I like to call social meds, and Steph's going to tell us all about that.
4: I shall tell you all about the social media. We are on Twitter. You can find us using the handle at APG crew. You can find our individual Twitter information pinned to the top of that page. So join us there. We are also on Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Lots of good community interaction going on there. Folks sharing aviation stories from around the world and the like. And if you're more uh, interested in pictures, uh, we're on Instagram, uh, APG crew. So we'll see you on the social medias.
2: And who doesn't like pictures really? Come on i mean i can't read so i prefer them speaking of pictures this is one you really don't want to have in your head. hey hello hello you have time for slack tell us about slack okay but i'm dripping wet all right well come on over here anyway just make sure you don't get water all over this nice equipment that i'm sitting in front of and here let me uh, move out of the way you can sit down here in this chair all right okay tell them about slack
1: APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas, we suggest episode and plain tales topics, we plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com, that's S-L-A-C-K Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com, or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation, that's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack.
2: Thanks, Hillel. Now, go put some clothes on or something, all right?
1: What kind of place is this? Where are we? How does this thing work?
2: Wow. You'd think all the time that he spends in there, he'd understand where he is and how everything yeah, works.
7: Yeah, okay. a Every <laughs> one of positions. those bathrooms is different. <laughs>
5: That's true. I oh. think Nick may have been doing the electrical work in that, uh, oh, no. that
7: bathroom. I think the you lights are out or something. You can't see anything. <laughs> no, but I certainly did the <laughs> Oh,
2: my. There's that's, the problem. There's a big there's the problem.
6: That's why you had a leak in the basement.
2: Oh, my. Yes. Liz says, that's why you had a leak in your basement, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's you haven't been
7: be leaking in your basement again, have you?
2: Uh no. We're uh, no, I try not to. I use the toilet. Generally <laughs> outside, yeah. <laughs> or yeah, the house the Just walk outside. Be the smell in builds up after a while. You know, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, also a big thanks to our producer, director, hey. my assistant.
7: Hey Liz. in up Toronto.
2: Liz Piper. She's awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Liz. You're the best. And I think if I only did this, it fade out really much better than normal. Okay. And with that, we look forward to seeing you all back here again with us, especially those of you in the live audience next week for our next show, episode 466. And until then, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless.
5: Cheers, y'all. We'll see you next week. Take care.
7: Bye, buddy. Woof, woof.
4: Till I started APG, I opened doors for little old ladies. I helped them to
1: their seats. Airline pilot guy, I fly a dog. Oh! Airline pilot guy, he can't land in heavy
4: fog oh! I got no friends cause I'm always flying. I just don't have the time. But I can land this old plane. I can land it just fine.
7: Airline, not a guy. I'm
1: flying.